Create, connect, communicate. Create, connect, communicate. Yeah, that's fine. Okay, word. Okay, Mocha, are you ready? Mocha is ready, as always. What is she doing down there? Chilling. Chilling? Okay, so we're going to get into this this story of yours, this historical drama <laughs> that like crosses continents. Mm-hmm. I know. Yeah, yeah. And Are you recording already? Or? We're recording, but yeah, oh. anyway, we're not, we're not really starting yet. I'm going to give you a little bit of introduction and then mm-hmm. we'll naturally go from after the introduction, but you'll know because yeah, it's a pretty serious introduction, but otherwise we'll just, yeah, cover your story. Let's go. The whole history. The whole history of France, the Already? whole fist- history of Taiwan, yes, the whole history of China, <laughs> the whole history of tech industry. Where where is most of the listener based? All around the world, in the universe, okay, Mars, <laughs> different planets. This is the space lab, so we broadcast to the universe. Okay, hopefully some space invaders and aliens are listening as well. <laughs> you have any friends up there? Probably a few. Exactly, I'm an alien, so. <laughs> got a bunch of friends up there. We'll see. We'll see if our if they can translate our our language. So, <laughs> all right, here we go, sir. Are you ready? Ready. Okay. Good afternoon, and welcome back to another episode of Firelight Chats, where we broadcast the most super natural and compelling voices and stories from our Space Lab studio here in Daan, Taipei, Taiwan. For those who know. I have a deep connection with and love for France. From my first time there in Le Visonnet, all around Paris, castle hopping with fine wine through the Loire Valley, horseback riding to Mont Saint-Michel, and sexy, unforgettable summers in the south, all the way from Monaco to Nice to Saint-Tropez to Marseille to Carcassonne, and even road tripping down and across the southwestern border into Bar. Lona, all with my beloved French famille. Ooh-la-la. With our guest for today, we'll fliggity flip this script. He was born and raised in France, but has a deep connection with Taiwan, with roots that stretch even further back into the mainland. His family history, similar to more than a few previous guests, is integrally tied to the history of the very foundations of the Republic of China including tales of power, wealth, elite education that establishes the first French connections, revolution, defeat, escape, harrowing trips on waves across the strait on crooked boats, contested borders controlled and closed, feeling unsettled and eventually settling into new lands, a lot of shaking of hands, massaging of situations, and standing shoulder to shoulder with and having the ear of the Generalissimo, Chiang Kai-shek himself. But just as one generation leaves one homeland to another, the following generations sometimes find themselves sonic boomeranging for yet another. Out of curiosity, boredom, political instability, a subtle remembrance of things past, 
or perhaps out of a miscellany of mere necessity. With a Taiwanese father and white French mother, our guest grew up with a mixed heritage and complex history in a land at once his own, yet simultaneously incompletely so. In spite of and motivated by this colorful confusion, what else is there to do but march on headstrong with our heading aimed at that for which, perhaps unbeknownst, we may have always longed. From that backdrop, to university in Paris, to studying abroad in Birmingham, bridging that life to one in London, working for EY, wearing nice suits, becoming a money-making, button-pressing monkey in a small room in front of four glowing screens of rich data, getting in early with a tech IoT company, that would IPO and go on to becoming a bona fide unicorn, to eventually finding his way back to Taiwan for what he hopes will be more than just a customary trip back to visit relatives. As he rediscovers his heritage, carves his own path, finds his calling, and works on his next business and passion project. Suffice it to say, there's a lot to explore. So without further ado, Mocha and I will freestyle chat, laugh, and maybe even cry. Create, connect, communicate, and indulge in these stories and more. With some tea and a bite of Proust's Madeleine by the fireside. With our special guest for this latest episode of Firelight Chats. The one and only, Philippe Ho. Hello, hello, Ken. Hello, Mocha. Hello, what's going on? Oh, wow. Thank you. What an intro. That's like, wow, Summarize, uh, summarizing all my life here. Exactly. Are you speechless, sir? I am. Maybe I'll start with the first question for you. Okay. Did you actually horse ride in the Mont Saint-Michel? Yes. You did? I actually rode a horse across when the tide was low. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. yeah, literally the tide was low. It was one of the most beautiful horse rides of my life. And I am not a professional horse rider <laughs> by any means. My friend though, Victorian, by the way, this is December. So happy birthday, feliz cumpleaños. We speak Spanish too, right, Victorian? So je t'aime mon frère. Happy <laughs> birthday, my friend. So with Victorian, we literally horseback rode across, went over to Mont Saint-Michel. And then of course the tide comes up and you're stuck on the island. It's amazing, it's beautiful. And then once the tide went down, we got on the horses and came back. Oh, wow. I know. Wow. Have you done that before? Not the horse riding side. Okay. But um, I went to Mont Saint-Michel as well. But yeah, usually, you know, there's a few stories that, you know, people got stuck in the sands and then they're like, you know, disappears. I'm not sure if it's actually true or right. just to scare the kids out there. But, exactly. But yeah, it's, I know. it's actually impressive when you actually look at it like... <sighs> There's a, a road, right? You drive in, you go into the, the Mont Saint-Michel or you even walk. And then a few hours later, it's literally on island. I know. It's so beautiful. I mean, that island is like straight out of a Yeah, yeah, yeah. They do fantasy. the best uh, omelette as well over there. Yes, exactly. Exactly. The I don't know food if you is like omelette, yeah. I love omelette. Of course. You know, I'm <laughs> French. <laughs> no, not as French as you. You are a true Frenchman with yes. a French passport. With a French passport. So, um, So, yeah, as you said, you know, Born and raised in Paris. My dad is from Taiwan, born in Taiwan, and my mom is French. As you said, my mom is white. 
Well, my mom is actually blonde with blue eyes. Blonde, blue so, eye, um, French woman. Yeah, yeah. So, so I guess Seduce my dad- Seduce the Taiwanese dude. Yeah, yeah. Or the my, other way around. Probably the other way around, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I think my dad did a, did a pretty good job back in the days. Shout out to Papa Ho. Papa is actually coming to visit Taiwan, uh, Taipei, at the end of the month for Christmas and New Year celebrations. So. Oh, nice. So yeah, Welcome. I'm excited. I know. The family coming. But, um, but yeah, my dad is born in, um, in Taiwan. But actually, so the story is like that, right? So it goes back to three generations ago. It's his grandpa. So uh, your great-grandfather. Great-grandfather, yes. Okay. Back in the early uh, 1900s, he's from China, right? Mainland China. So he went to study as a young you know, student who wants to discover the world. He goes to study in Paris, in um, La Sorbonne. Which is one of the... Not a bad university. Yeah. Okay, university. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Central Paris, not far from, uh, from Notre Dame. Yes. Uh, he goes studies there. So he needs like, you know, early 20s. And then he goes back to China a few years later. And then this is obviously when China was kind of, um, you know, I'm not saying occupied, but there's a lot of influence from the West. Mm. You know, you had the French concession, the, the Germans, the, German, the Dutch, I'm sure there's the, the British somewhere. Exactly. The Portuguese well. somewhere. Exactly. The so Japanese somewhere. Probably as well. Exactly. Everyone is there, right? Yeah. So, and then you have this kind of small group of people that start getting together and it's not a secret society, right? But they do some like undercover kind of action, right? And they start, you know, I think their mission is really to basically take control over China, right? Mm. Like kind of let's get rid of the, the Westerners and this is our country. So he kind of got involved into this group of people, which uh, eventually became, you know, the Kuomintang back in the days, maybe different meaning than the party that we know today, right? Right. But he starts, you know, joining the um, party because obviously they kind of hiring or recruiting, you know, people that are a little bit more open-minded, people who study abroad and people who kind of believe in that mission, right? So that's what he does. He joins that party and then eventually climbs up the rank to become some sort of governor of the Anhui province. Anhui, yeah. Anhui province in China. And then obviously, I think we all know what happens after there is another political party that starts rising. Mm, Uh, That leads him- the mountains up in the north. Yeah, exactly. Everyone walking together, villagers and everything that. Mm-hmm. And then eventually that leads him, so the great-grandfather, to decide. So he's the older son of the family, right? So he decides that, you know, it's time to leave. Let's go to uh, to Taiwan. Mm. Uh, so he goes to Taiwan with his younger brother together, the two of them. And then obviously they're here with, you know, most of the high, let's say, profile of the Kuomintang back in the days, uh, Chiang Kai-shek and all these people, right? So he's here in Taiwan, probably around, you know, I don't know, late 40s, in the 50s, I guess. Mm. Maybe even before that. Mm-hmm. And then his younger brother's wife comes to join her husband, right? She takes her kids and then she's like, you know, getting ready and, you know, obviously get on the boat and, you know, kind of escape mainland China and to come in here to Taiwan. And then my grandpa, who's basically her nephew, says, OK, I want to go as well. So he tells his mom, oh, I want to go meet my dad for two weeks in Taiwan. She says, yeah, OK, go meet your dad. So he joins that, uh, let's say, uncle and uh, auntie trip, right? On this boat across the Taiwan Strait. On this boat uh, with his cousins. So they're like, you know, five or six kids. Everyone is sick on the boat. You know, first time they actually get on the boat. And like, it's a bit of a mess, right? Like people are leaving, fleeing away, basically. Right. But he's like, you know, I want to go, you know. He's chilled. He was chilled. <laughs> so he's like, yeah, why not? You know, I'm going to yeah, go on the boat. A little boat trip. I'm going to go meet my go dad. Go sailing. Exactly. See daddy. 
Exactly. So then he goes, he okay. arrives here in uh, Taiwan. So he sees that. And after two weeks, it's time for him to actually go back, you know, because he's a young, you know, teenager, obviously better to spend time with your mom and, and your, your siblings to grow up right, than with your dad who's involved in politics. And, right, and, a revolutionary. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> yeah. Especially at a time when, you know, he was not politically stable and yeah. all that, right? So then he's like, okay, I'm going to go back. But the only issue is, small issue, they shut down the borders, right? Ooh. So you couldn't go back from Taiwan to China. And I'm sure, you know, you couldn't also flee China right. back to Taiwan. Otherwise, his mom and his siblings would have, uh, you know, come join the father of the family here in Taiwan. Okay. Um, so he's basically stuck here in Taiwan with his dad, with his cousins, with uncle and uh, auntie, right? Wow. Uh, and yeah, so, and he actually never ever seen his mom again. Obviously, he went back to China when he was, you know, basically my grandpa, right? So older, and then he met with his siblings, at least the ones that were still alive back in the days. But yeah, so he is basically this young teenager here in Taipei with his dad. He meets my Taiwanese grandma, mm. uh, right? She was also kind of involved in, um, you know, very uh, intellectual kind of uh, industry. She was like a journalist. So I'm sure she was also somehow potentially involved in some sort of uh, political actions. Or exactly. I'm not too sure. A journalist is a revolutionary back yeah. in those days. <laughs> um, so then he meets her. They have two kids, which is my dad and my uncle, mm. right? Two boys. Um, so that's why my dad is basically Taiwanese, right? So he's born here in Taipei. Mm. Um, and then that's not the end. How am I, you know, half French? So mm. the rest of the story is the great grandpa actually, as I said, came to Paris in his, uh, you know, teenager to study. So he was like, okay, I'm going to go back to Europe. I'm going to go back to Paris because, you know, I'm assuming he was like, okay, this is a better opportunity for right. for, for my uh, grandkids and for their kids in the future, which is me, right? Mm. So then he goes first. Obviously, you know, he has to go through like a different route than a direct flight or something. I'm not too sure, but it was kind of a challenge. Obviously, flights, airplanes back in the days, you couldn't fly like that. Different hours. routes. And uh, EVA Air Business Class didn't exist. Didn't exist. <laughs> and then the boats didn't exist either. Exactly. So you had to go through, I think he stopped somewhere in the Middle East and then from Middle East to Belgium, actually. And then Belgium, you know, driving down to Paris. Wow. Um, and then in Paris, he still was very active into, you know, the European, let's say, Kuomintang and all these things. So still, you know, I think someone, I've never had the chance to meet him because he passed away before I was born. But mm. obviously my mom met him, my parents, obviously my dad as well. So they told me stories, right? Mm. But he was involved in political action as well. So someone who's very mission driven, right? Passionate sure. about something and, you know, fight for the cause until basically the end. Um, so it's then, crazy because he was a governor in China. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think one of the reasons why he kind of left as well, Taiwan, is because I'm sure, you know, they wanted to send people to kind of eradicate the past, right? Or the opposition. Right. So then obviously, I'm sure there's been some uh, safety concerns as yes, well. Yes, exactly. Side. So he had to go. So he leaves, goes to Paris, and then, you know, set up everything, let's say, for the family. And then a few years later, he calls my grandpa and he says, you know, it's time for you to come now. Mm. And then my grandpa is here. He's in Taiwan. He's got his Taiwanese wife. Right. which is my grandma, right? And then their two kids. And he's like, wow, this is not the, the thing I really want to do. But right. then he's settled as a Taiwanese boy. Yeah, kind of, right? Like <laughs> it's it's amazing out here. Right. But, um, <laughs> but then, you know, obviously he's the only son who kind of escape. So he's the only son, let's say left or free, free son, uh, if I can use that term. Okay. Um. So he eventually goes to Paris as well, alone. Same thing. So for the second time in his life, 
he actually follows his father like right. on his own, right? So he follows him to Paris again together. They make sure, you know, everything is ready for the wife and the kids basically, right? Huh. Which is my grandma and my uh, uncle and dad. They're like the advance guard scouting exactly, the yeah, new yeah. land. Like going on a recommission. Reconnaissance. To make sure that, you know, exactly. the, troop, the troop arrive and everything is, exactly. uh, is ready. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, then my dad goes, well, obviously with my grandma and my uncle. So the three of them, they fly to Paris. Mm. And then, and then, yeah. And the rest of the family, so all the cousins and basically the people that he grew up with, as in my grandpa, also were supposed to go. But, uh, you know, they got married, some of them, like, you know, settled down here. And because they're not like direct sons or daughters, obviously, uh, they could, maybe they have a stronger stance or chance to say no and, and just, you know, not follow the orders of the oldest brother of the family, mm. which was my great grandpa, right? So, yeah, that's the story. And then, obviously, so my dad is eight years old. He arrives in uh, Paris. As an eight-year-old. Eight-year-old boy. His brother is younger, two years younger, so six and eight. Obviously, you arrive in the mid sixties in Paris. That's an interesting time in interesting in Paris, time in the world, uh, actually. But yeah, you know, post uh, World War Two, exactly. Uh, there's a lot of tension happening everywhere. Yeah, you know, a lot of Cold social War instability. Here. There's a lot of things happening as well in uh, with France and like Africa, North Algeria. Africa. Exactly. So, I think it's fair to say, you know, it's, you're not welcoming foreigners, especially Chinese looking kids right. <laughs> uh, in the mid sixties in France, right? So and is this within the ring of Paris or is this in the banlieue? No, no, it's within, it's actually central Paris. So I don't know if you're familiar with Le Marais. Yes, of course. Le Marais, like The yes. Jewish area, actually. Yeah, 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 yeah. So very central, very central location. Mm -hmm. um, Le Marais, you know, Châtelet, all these areas. Yeah, yeah, So yeah, that's, yeah. that's where they that's... were actually, um, actually said it's actually pretty cool on the weekends mm. so i think it's closed on saturday because jewish tradition is to uh to not i think work or even like light up candles or electricity right or for the like shabbat that. exactly yeah. yeah on saturday so it's actually cool to hang out there thursday friday and then sunday what around this month is this uh i think it's 11th and 4th i think 11th and 4th okay i'm not sure i'm okay. not sure people listening they might you know say this guy Be is like not, this uh, this guy's not french this guy is not french he's just faking this this he, accent he's just uh faking this accent <laughs> no you can't fake this accent it's désolé, real désolé, <laughs> i just said sorry i forgot the uh exactly. the number of the quarter <laughs> no but um but yeah so they're here in central paris i wanted to say they have some of the best falafel Falafel Ooh, sandwich. Of course. Oh my God. So Wonderful good. falafel. And it's so good. The matter. There's massive queues there, like outside of the shops. There's two shops. They're competing against each other, but they're literally like your distance from my distance now. Oh, really? Yeah. And so you have like some salespeople, let's say, outside on the street and they're like, don't go for this sandwich. We have the better one. And then they give you some falafel for you to try to like, hmm, this is actually good. That's amazing. Yeah, so yeah, the yeah. street is like the Taiwan Strait. Yeah, it's quite, it's quite, yeah. Okay. It's, it's actually very narrow. Yeah. And you're literally like, you know, five meters from the other restaurants and you're queuing outside quite a lot because there's a lot of people, but. That's a beautiful war right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true competition. <laughs> I like it. Which one's better? I think the red one is better. I forgot the names. Okay. But there is a green one and a red one. Oh, and they I have think, teams. Uh, yeah, 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 exactly. The red team. The yeah, red team is actually better. But um, but yeah, so my dad grows up in Paris as an eight-year-old kid. He goes to French school. When he obviously joins the school, he speaks like no French. Mm. 
So yeah, you know, it's kind of a challenge, you know, a lot of reading, spending after hours, you know, in the library, reading like cartoons or like the anime in French. Mm. So he managed to obviously pick up. And I think as a kid as well, you always like, your brain is a sponge, right? So yeah. you pick up things very quickly, at least quickly enough for him to actually meet my mom and right. do a pretty decent job. Right, <laughs> to steal the heart of a exactly blonde, blue-eyed French woman. Exactly. So my dad likes to tell the story of, you know, I think they're around 15, 16, right? So, you know, back in the days, true, let's say, love story. Okay. We, meet, uh, we meet in like, was it secondary school or yeah. high school? It's basically sure. like American high school age. Yeah, kind of. Okay. So then he likes to tell the story like, you know, he sees her walking into the, the classroom and then he looks at her very long hair. And he's like, wow, she's beautiful. She's going to be mine one day. <laughs> wow. Oh, that's quite funny. He's when a go-getter. When he tells the story, it's like so funny. And then my mom, she's obviously like, yeah, that's why you thought 30, 40 years ago. And, you know, where is my gift today? Oh. Why am I getting this today? Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it's quite exactly. funny. Exactly. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so he meets my mom in school. And then, yeah, so that's why. So I have a brother. And it's me. And uh, yeah, I was born in Paris. So, you know, in central Paris, there's two islands. Um, mm. There's one called um, Ile de la Cité mm -hmm. and then Ile Saint-Louis. Mm. So the, let's say Saint-Louis Island, it's actually one of the... Is that Notre Dame? Yeah. So Ile de la Cité, City Island is, yeah. is Notre Dame. So yeah. there's Notre Dame and just opposite, there is actually uh, a hospital. So my mom actually, um, you know, delivered my brother and me from the same hospital, oh. which is based on that small island in the middle of Paris. She tells the story at night, she can see literally the Seine River and, you know, the boats with all the lights cruising through the river. So it's actually quite Dude, of, a, that's of a nice setup. Yeah. yeah. And that's like the center of Paris. Paris. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like a little Taiwan in the middle, right? It's a you were born it's on a, an yeah, island. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. Exactly. See, it's amazing. meant to be. It's exactly. meant to be. <laughs> it was destiny. That's crazy. That's a cool place to be born. Yeah, born in Paris, and then obviously, you know, you grow up in a multicultural environment. So it's you know one Sunday with the French family. So let's say the white family. Mm. The week after, it's literally with the Asian Chinese, the Chinese Taiwanese side. family, right? So. That's amazing. Growing up, you kind of uh, have to adapt very quickly to a new environment. And obviously my, let's say, Chinese grandparents, they always speak to me in Mandarin as well. I apologize. My Mandarin is not that good. I think my listening is quite good, but my speaking is, um, mm. I would reply to them in French, right? Okay. They, they obviously could speak French too. Yep. It's a uh, common story. Uh, but yeah, so you basically, you know, become a chameleon kind of, yeah. right? From a young age. Right. Anywhere you go, anywhere you You're are. just shifting colors. You, yeah. Yeah. One weekend you eat with fork and knife and like, you know, you sit for like three hours at lunch because, you know, typical French meal, let's mm, say. Exactly. Uh, exactly. From like 12, 11, 30 <laughs> when you start with the apéro, you know. Oh, I love it. And then until like 4 p.m. when you finish with like, you know, the, um, the hard liquor. Exactly. We have this like, you know, cherries that have been like in the hard liquor for like, I don't know, 10 years. Aged. And then the grandpa just like gives you one. But that thing's like wakes you up. like Exactly. Wow. You're like stumbling around. 90% alcohol. Exactly. <laughs> From one cherry. Exactly. So that kind of a background, which is, yeah, I think which obviously played a key part in shaping who I am today, right? Like this kind of chameleon analogy. Yeah. Uh, you know, you kind of adapt very quickly to a new environment. You understand, you know, different cultures, different way of communicating as well. Because, right. you know, French family, obviously very vocal, very like, you know, if I talk about my mom, my mom very, uh, you know, oh, I love you, my son, blah, 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 blah. blah. But then my dad. It's obviously, like you never say I love you in your whole life. Yeah. I, 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 yeah, probably. <laughs> 
<laughs> maybe, maybe once or twice, but you know, it's much harder. Like sometimes when I meet my dad, you know, he, he always comes to pick me up from the airport when I fly back or something like that. Right. And then we see each other. We haven't seen each other probably for maybe many months, mm. but it's like, it's just we summer. give a, a hug, but yeah, it's like- a man hug. It's a bit awkward. It's a bit awkward. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like a, a full hug, you know. It's oh, not I like a French you. hug. Like yeah, exactly. Kissing on the cheeks. And yeah, yeah. It's not. It's not really like that. So Ooh. it's a bit awkward. Uh, but you know, it's something that you're familiar with as well. I understand. You know, it's kind of a different upbringing, different culture as well. This is. I believe that sometimes you know the way you are with people today, you as a person is kind of the love that you received from your parents or your grandparents as a kid. For sure. Um, so obviously, you know, that's not the way he communicates kind of affection or right or all that, that Asian stoicism. Yeah, exactly. Especially the male. But um, but yeah. So that's the story. What about religion? Was the white side mm -hmm. like you know typical French Catholic? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay. that's actually a good question because it's kind of an interesting story as well. Because my mom, she has three sisters, so it's four daughters, right? Four daughters, and she has a younger brother as well. But she's the youngest one of all of the daughters, and all of her sisters actually married someone from a different country or different uh, religion as well. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so, so rebellious family. Rebellious in the, yeah, in a sense that I think it's more that the grandpa, so my grandpa, right? So my mom's uh, father okay. was very open-minded and very accepting of, you know, very open-minded for, I think for the time. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, I remember I asked my mom like, oh, you know, what did he say when you brought by my dad, right? Mm. Like this Chinese kids right. at home. Right. And then, you know, my grandpa told her, you know, as long as you're happy, I'm happy for you. Right? Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. So, you know, very supportive of them, of the relationship. And, and obviously I think he's been through the same thing with the aunties, right? With his other daughters who are my aunties. So maybe with the first one, maybe his answer was not as long as you're happy, I'm happy. <laughs> and by the last one, he gave up. Exactly. <laughs> that, that, that's possible. You know? Yes, but, um, that's true. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so religiously, yeah, they're obviously Christian, right? So, mm. you know, December is Sunday morning. They would go to church. December, they have this small, um, how do you call it? You know, you put this small house at home with like Jesus, with like, you know, the people who oh, help Jesus, see. with the animals. The manger. And yeah, 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 yeah. So, and then when it's like midnight, literally on the 24th of December, they would put baby Jesus, which is yeah. like a small, you know, figure the or like figurine inside to say, oh, that's in his bone. Right. For me, I, you know, I'm just, you know, experiencing this, going mm. through this. And, you know, this is, you know, their belief. This is the tradition. This is the culture. I'm just here as a kid witnessing. Right. And kind of soaking in all of this, you know, different, I don't know, tradition, mm. different way of doing things, you know, different way of communicating and all that. Right. And then obviously on the other side, my grandparents from my dad's side, they're Buddhist, right? So my okay. grandma actually very involved in, you know, the Buddhist community. So, you know, there's not that many Buddhist temple back in the days in Paris or even in the suburbs. So they actually, you know, were very involved when they retired or they stopped working. They dedicated a lot of their time to actually help the community, you know, build up and up new temples across Paris. Oh, wow. Um, so yeah, basically when we would go there, so me and my, uh, my mom and my brother and my dad, we would go as well, not visit them, but like we would go see them at the temple because they're basically always there, mm. right? So it's not like, oh, are you home? We're coming to see you grabbing dinner. It's like, we don't even need to ask where you guys are. We know you guys are at the temple. So let's right. just go catch up right. uh, in, in, in the temple, do some bye-bye and, you know. Bye-bye, yes. And do that, burn the incense, you know, mm. uh, all of that as well. So, you know, and this kind of happens while you're growing up 
And then it's not like, okay, you transition from a few years of this to a few years of that, right? It's, it's literally back and the forth. Saturday you may be at the temple and the Sunday you're like having lunch. The French grandpa just come out from church and come, you know, have lunch with the whole family, exactly. right? Exactly. So, from forks to chopsticks. And, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, that's why I use that kind of chameleon analogy. You got to adapt and adjust to any environment. Mm. But yeah, so that's in terms of religion. And then my dad obviously picked up the religion and, and, and I'm actually reading a book. Now, unfortunately, you know, both my grandparents passed away uh, on the Chinese side. So, you know, I feel like obviously my dad feels that way as well. That's it's kind of him who now needs to make sure that, you know, the heritage, the values that have been learned over the years are, you know, being given to the next generation, which is me. And obviously I also have kind of that drive inside of me anyway to learn and to make sure, you know, you keep the tradition going. Mm. Um, I'll tell you a story of that dumplings after. Oh, uh, dumplings. Yeah. <laughs> dumplings but, are always um, good. Yeah, so I'm actually reading this book. I got it from a temple in uh, Paris. It's basically called, you know, the 365 days of traveling for the spiritual journey or something like that. Right? Okay. And then basically every day you have five, 10 sentences about, you know, a concept. It could be, you know, basically the whole book just tells you, use your mouth to speak good words, use your body to do good deeds mm. and use your mind to think good thoughts. So mm. that's the whole, basically, book. See, I'm sparing you uh, 365 days of reading. Exactly. I only need one day. <laughs> but basically, I'm reading this um, this every morning. You know, in the morning, I get up, I do my stretches, I sit down, I meditate, mm. like eight, 10 minutes. Meditate, I think, is a big word, but I just, you know, close my eyes, do some deep breathing, start thinking about the day ahead, kind of, you know, see everything playing into pictures. I was sitting at home this morning, I was seeing literally your, your you i was mm. seeing you in my uh, in my quick session mm. i was picturing your your sweet voice and oh, i was like yes. oh, this is happening with dumplings let's make it happen <laughs> <laughs> but um we are here now but, but, vision but yeah, has come true i read i read that book uh, yeah vision has come true <laughs> and then so yeah i'm trying to you know read do some praying when i'm a bit stressed or i feel like oh this situation is a bit you know, maybe in danger or you want good to happen, you know, omitofu, omitofu, I put oh, my, uh, nice. my two hands together, like my grandma told me. Exactly. I have actually a funny story in Africa about this omitofu. Oh, wow. Really? Okay. okay. Remind It'll me come. later. It'll Remind come. me later. Okay. <laughs> Buddha will come back in Africa. <laughs> but yeah, so that's it. So the story of the dumplings is, you know, growing up every Chinese New Year, my grandparents would come to our house and then we would make dumplings all together. Mm. So my grandpa in charge of, you know, making the dough, like, you know, the heavy work, right. rolling the dough, making Pressing the small, uh, yeah, the small, you know, round shape. Yes. And then my grandma doing the folding and mixing together the filling. Yes. Right. Shredded pork, the white cabbage, mm -hmm. the vermicelli. Ooh, uh, this guy knows what he's talking some, about. Uh, some mushroom. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. mushroom. Very nice. And then you make that garlic and soy sauce. You know, you chop the garlic, soy oh, sauce. Wow, let's take amazing. a lunch break right now. <laughs> but then... Um, but then, yeah, so, you know, growing up, participating into the dumpling making activities. Mm. <laughs> but then obviously now I'm telling you this because of keeping the tradition going mm. kind of mission that I'm on. But obviously every Chinese New Year. So I lived in London alone, let's say, without the family for a few years as well. So I was making the dumplings by myself, oh. literally everything as well. Okay. Uh, so, so from so scratch. Yeah. I mean, basically yeah, you had all the rolls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Literally from mixing the water and the flour together to cooking the dumplings and, and eating them as well. So, nice. So yeah, dumpling making, if anyone interesting. Exactly. This is the man. Can do a one-on-one -on -one private. Exactly. Uh, private, uh, With some French class. culinary skills. <laughs> French know how to cook. But yeah, so going back to the story, 
So yeah, I go into um, engineering school in Paris. Actually, this is quite unique as well. So in France, if you want to go into engineering school or engineering college or business college, let's say, you don't really go straight after high school. You need to do this kind of, they call it class prépa, mm. which is like a prep school. You study business and economics if you want to go to business school. And then you study math and physics if you want to go into uh, engineering school. And this is like hardcore. This is very intense. Right. So basically every week, You have a new chapter on Monday in physics and in math. And then Tuesday, Wednesday, you learn, learn, learn new things. Thursday afternoon, you basically need to be ready for oral presentation. So it's literally three of you. So it's a classroom of like 30, 35 people at the start of the year because there's so many people who actually give up. Right. It's, it's like it's, military it's, service. It's like people military. dropping out. Actually, you know, most of the teachers, they are from, you know, ex-military research, people who worked on like nuclear program and all this. Oh, so like, like from Sancia. Yeah, high level. Uh, Ecole Normale, actually. Oh, okay. Hi yeah, high yeah, level, yeah. you know, kind of teachers. So you go through that for two years. The Thursday afternoon, you have all your uh, oral presentations. It's just three of you literally on the whiteboard. And then you have one guy behind. He says, You have to learn like 20 questions and the answers obviously to 20 questions. And then he picks one of the 20 and then he says, okay, Philip, you got, you know, question 13, tell me blah, blah, blah. Mm. And then literally it's not just a simple answer. You have to, you know, basically fill out the whole board right. with like, you know, Go equations the whole theory and, equation. and then explain everything to him. And then he says, hmm, okay, I like you. I like this or I don't like it. But right. then he gives you a grade. Okay. And usually the grade is like bad, right? Like if you right. get, if you get an eight out of 20, I think you did okay. Wow. Um, if you get a three, I think you did poorly. If you get zero, it's like, well. You're going to drop out. You're, you're, you're one like, of those. Probably, probably. Because <laughs> <laughs> sometimes you're like, it's so high pressure that, you know, every week, as I told you, you need to learn a new chapter. And it's not like two plus two is four, right? It's right. not like simple math. This is like serious stuff. Serious stuff. You, you basically learn how to, you know, send a, a rocket to the moon. Right. You like do, I don't know, some magnetic calculation and then like the math is like high level as well. Oh, so ridiculous. So it's like, it's hard stuff. And then, so that's your Thursday afternoon. Usually you kind of exhausted because this guy is like torturing you for one hour and like literally you got to be ready for 20 questions and it's only going to be one. Right. right. Comes out. So it's very like intense. And then usually the Friday, again, you get ready for the Saturday morning exam. So you're basically every Saturday morning from like eight to 12, you have an exam in math from the chapter that you just started like four days ago. Right. So it's like very intense. So you do that for two years. Oh, and dear. then at the end of the two years- Every Saturday. Yeah, almost, I think almost every Saturday, yeah. Okay. And then at the end of the two years, you don't have like a, a degree or like a diploma and you have a nice graduating ceremony right. and all that. You just have the chance to sit for all the um, entrance exam to the national, you know, engineering schools, right? Wow. So again, it's like uh, <laughs> at the end of year two, uh, the whole month of, I think it's in April. And then you sit for all these exams. And then it's not just math and physics. So you have like philosophy, you have languages as well, English, Spanish, then you have literature or something like that. Obviously it's like hardcore. The second year of that, you basically have the same, you know, structure of, you know, new chapter, Saturday morning exam, all that. But on top of it, you need to make sure you're ready for all of these exams that are coming up. So it's kind of a very intense. Actually, I think looking back, I really enjoyed it because it's like high pressure environment and it's like very transparent as well. If you're good, you perform. If you're not good, you know, obviously the results, you know, says it itself. It's like a real meritocracy. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. it's a very, you know, no BS environment, very transparent. So I really mm -hmm. enjoy that. It's like playing sports, right? Yeah. Everyone sees you if you're scoring hoops or if you're like 
not doing anything. Uh, yeah. It just people know itself, right? Right. Your game is just here out there for people to see. Exactly. So I do that for two years. Then I managed to get into a school in Paris, actually a construction engineering school because, you know, they push you to study that route to go to engineering school because they say, you know, you study engineering, you know, you keep all of your doors open. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Obviously my dad was like, oh, you should go be a doctor and stuff. And then I was like, okay. You know, I don't really see myself and nothing against doctors, right? Mm. But I don't really see myself in the same office for the rest of my life. And like, you know, it's a very um, honorable job, but uh, not for me personally. Yes. Shout out to all the doctors out there. Exactly. Uh, thank you for keeping us uh, healthy. Exactly. We need you to do that because we can't. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so I go into this engineering school and then it's like a three-year program, right? So it's five years of studies in total to get to your uh, master's degree in engineering. Two years of math, physics, getting you ready, and then three years of literally learning about engineering stuff. So mm. I do two years in Paris, and then they have a lot of partnerships with other universities. And if you're ranked like, I don't know, let's say good enough, you qualify to go abroad. And I end up uh, going to uh, University of Birmingham in the UK. Mm -hmm. um, and then that was the last year of studies. The system there is slightly different. I think it's more you know, in line with um, the one in the US, mm. where you basically don't have all of these exams on a very regular basis, like literally weekly. Yeah. Um, you have, you know, uh, your, your break. Yeah, exactly. Your break in December, you get ready for your January exams and then you break in uh, spring break to get ready for to your party. Exam. I mean, to get ready. Exactly. For <laughs> so then I was like, wow, this is actually good. Yeah. And then I was, that, for me, world. that was kind of a, the year when I enjoyed, let's say, because I was like, okay, this is kind of easy. Exactly. I've been through like this, this <laughs> the military hell, hell week. Yeah. So now I'm like, okay, now you're giving week. me one month to actually get ready. So I'm like, okay. So that was like the last year of study. So kind of finishing on a good note as well. Yeah, so, chill note. So yeah, then I go back to Paris and then I start working for EY, as you mentioned, one of the, you know, audit, like big four. Cal yeah, accounting, audit, consulting, auditing, uh, yeah. company. Again, basically in France, that engineering, you know, kind of a track of the prep school plus the engineering, it's very, you know, well-known, recognized. So basically, if you come out of that program, people who have come out of that program before basically know what you've been through. So they give you a job, basically. Right. You do, a, you can do a, anything. A, an interview just to make sure you're a nice person, but then they give you the job. So I actually, you know, get the job there. And then, you know, it, it's kind of a cult. So they basically keep in their teams only people who have been through that program. Ooh, so I got the chance to work with that very senior guy there. Same thing, he went through an engineering program and all that. And then, yeah, doing some kind of cool stuff. So this is the Africa story. Mm. So we have one client who's actually in the energy sector in France. And then obviously, you know, we kind of the financial people, right? So we need to make sure that the financial statements are good and all that. And obviously, if you're an energy company, you have natural resources. Mm -hmm. Some of these natural resources were based in Africa. So then this guy calls me and he say, oh, Philippe, I have this, uh, this client. I'm looking for, you know, someone with your profile and then another guy to go to Africa together. And me, I'm like, you know, I'm like 23. Mm. I'm like, you know, this is amazing. Yeah, I'm going to Africa. Go. Let's go to Africa. <laughs> so then I, I, Safari. I, I say, yes, blah, blah, blah. We go, we get ready and stuff. Then I tell my parents, oh, by the way, in two weeks, because this was very short notice. Okay. In two weeks, you know, I'm going to Africa to Niger. So okay. it, it's not Nigeria, it's, it's Niger. Niger. Right? Nigeria yeah. is a bit, you know, let's say more developed um, mm -hmm. than, than Niger is, right? Yes, definitely. Uh, and less dangerous as well. So Niger is like classified as a red country by the Ministry of like Defense. Mm -hmm. Basically only go there if you have to go and no other option. Right. 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 Um, so we get ready. Actually, before going there, you have to go through some pretty intense vaccination program. They say there's all these disease over there and whatever. So disease that you haven't even heard about, right? 
And then you go through, so you have to actually go to Air France, like vaccination center, because only them have these kind of vaccines. If I go to a random hospital, they don't have the vaccines because it's so unique. Oh, wow. Right? So Interesting. They, and you have to do it in like two rounds because they inject you like some very strong stuff. So they can't give you everything at once because you probably like pass out or, right. or maybe you, you actually, I don't know. You actually die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the whole, of, you know, the whole purpose is, is defeating there. But um, so two rounds, right? And then they inject you like this thing, this thing, this thing. And like, you feel very like dizzy after. You're like- Did you hallucinate? I didn't, but, okay. but I was like, yeah, they asked you to have someone to come pick you up when you leave, right? Like same thing when you actually get a, a surgery, right? They need yeah. someone to escort you out of the, make sure you're so okay, So you don't right? faint. Exactly. So that happened twice. And then that's it. We're ready. We go to, um, so we have to register in like the Ministry of Defense. They give you all these contact numbers of like <laughs> different government units you don't even know exist, right? Right. So like, oh, if you're in trouble, if you're this, if you're that, reach out to these people, download this app. And basically the app is like tracking you on your phone and like all these things. So wow. I'm like, wow, this is kind of cool. I know. And then Mission on the impossible. other side at home, my mom and my dad, they're like, oh my God, they're praying every day. This kid, he's <laughs> crazy. Different he's, gods. Going, he's going to Africa. <laughs> Different gods. <laughs> he's, he's going to um, to Africa. This is dangerous and stuff. Wow. But then I go, right? Air France. So only Air France flies there because it's not even a, it's not a profitable flight because right, right, there's right, no right, one right. on the airplane, but it's like a government. Government right? thing. So yeah. they have to fly there because obviously they have some businesses, right? Because the energy company is actually related to like backed by government somehow. Right. The French government. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So we go, we go to Africa as we kind of, it's I think five, six hours, maybe longer flights. As you actually land, you see like two motorcycles on each side of the plane that are actually escorting the aircraft. Wow. On the, um, on the tarmac, on the landing kind of path. Right. And then you're like, oh, wow, what is this? Right. You feel like you're in a James Bond movie. And okay, these guys are there with AK-47 on the back and they're like, you know, riding uh, alongside the aircraft. And then, you know, the plane just stops in the middle of the landing path. And then that's it. The pilot says, okay, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for you to go. And I'm like, wow, we actually walk down on the tarmac. The plane actually doesn't stop and lands, you know, properly. And, you know, they bring that ladder and everyone right. walks down because it's so dangerous that the aircraft doesn't even stays like a few hours or, or even overnight. Oh, they just, so they actually take off right like, hour. See right you later, away. man. Good luck. Yeah, it's like good luck. It's almost like your special ops and they right. drop you off the, the helicopter, a right? little parachute. And then that's it. They leave you there to do your business. Right. They actually go to another, let's say, safer country in the close borders. I see, to park and wait. Park, wait, <laughs> and then, you know, kind of relax after a shift, right? Wow. So then it's us. Basically, if shit happens, the aircraft is gone already. Right. Um, so it's three of us, right? And then you go through immigration, they ask you, they stamp your passport, whatever. And then you don't go straight to the hotel, right? You're kind of tired, but then you don't go to the hotel. You go to this, you know, you have these two French dudes that are waiting for you outside. And basically they say, okay, let's take you to the safe house. So I'm like, oh, wow. <laughs> take me to the safe house. So, and they say, yeah, we have this um, safety briefing for everyone who comes to the country, right? From France. Huh. So they take you to the safe house. It's like these two guys. They look, you know, guys who have been living in Africa for a few years, right? So they're like, you know, beard, like jungle kind of looking. Exactly. They're wearing like a Indiana Jones type of outfit. So, you know, <laughs> these guys, you assume if, if shit if hits shit the goes fan, down. these guys are here to back you up. Right? Yes. So I'm like, okay, well, I, nice. tr I trust this guy. Nice to have you here. So they're like, yeah, 
They're like, okay, let's go to safe house. So you go in the safe house and they give you a walkie talkie and they say, okay, this is the thing you need to carry with you everywhere you go. You go toilets, you have to carry it with you. Oh my goodness. And then basically they say, okay, walkie talkie every morning at 8am, you have to say radio check, right? So to make sure that you didn't disappear during the night. Or okay. Anything. So they're like, okay, radio check, Philippe, good morning, blah, blah, blah. Are you okay? And then you reply. If you don't reply within five minutes, so they're eight coming. or five, yeah, they triggered the uh, like the the safety procedures or whatever. Yeah, literally. So there, yeah, so there's no snooze button. So it's on so, the walkie-talkie. Exactly, and so you you already you kind of stress, right? You're in this country is a bit like new, and then you also stress that if you actually don't wake up on time, you can have AK 47s uh, Yeah, and then you're like, wow, these guys. That's it. They launch uh, you know operation rescue and stuff, and you actually just sleep in your bed. Exactly. Dreaming. Right. <laughs> Dreaming about dumplings. Exactly. <laughs> no, but, um, oh, but so they give you this and then they, they start talking, right? They're like, oh, okay. So if this happens, so you basically stay in a hotel, right? It's like uh, the five-star hotel of Niamey. Niamey is, is the capital, capital. of, uh, okay. of Niger, right? So you Down stay the there. South. So they say, you know, it's the nicest hotel, the safest and all that, right? So you're like, okay. And then they say, but in case something happens, meaning in case there is an attack on yeah. the hotel because you're kind of a target, right? I think a few months before as well, there's been a lot of like, you know, actions and, and movements against like foreigners and all these things. Oh. Um, they're like, oh, if something happens to the bungalow, right? Because you're not sleeping in the hotel building. Everyone has a small bungalow in the park, basically. And um, you actually have a bodyguard outside of your house, literally guarding your door. Each bungalow has yeah, a bodyguard. Yeah, yeah. So is this like six foot two, six foot three, like, you know, guy. Like an African guy or a yeah, French yeah, yeah. dude? No, no, no. African, okay. local army, right? Okay, okay. But at the end of the day, you don't know who is like good or not good. Exactly. Right? Because everyone could be carrying a weapon and like, okay, if this guy is actually, I don't know, undercover for another movement or whatever, right? right. So you're like, wow, okay. Let me just be positive and think that he's actually a good, with a good guy in body. Exactly. Because otherwise he's just outside of my door and then, you know. Yeah, he he'll can, come he, in. And he can come in like easy, right? So then, Whoa. you know, you have these guys standing outside while you sleep. But the two French guys, you know, during the, these guys are French, right? During the, the safety briefing, they say, if something happens, so what you do, and I'm like, you know, I don't know, they're going to say there is a secret weapon somewhere in your room oh, or there is right. some like a uh, grenade. I don't know. Me, right, I'm like right. thinking Call yeah, of Duty, you're like, right? I'm ready. Yeah, Counter-Strike, Call so, of Duty. Yeah. And they're like, well, you actually push your bed against the door <laughs> and you go lie down in the bathtub. So I'm like, that's pretty low tech. <laughs> I'm like, are these guys serious? I'm thinking, you know, these guys, they look like Indiana Jones. They look like James Bond. I got and my I'm C4 like, package. They're, no. they're telling me, I'm thinking smoke grenades and all this thing, exactly. right? Exactly. They're telling me, put the bed against the door and lie down in the bathtub. Because they're like, if someone shoots through the walls, right? if you're lying down kind of on the bathtubs, yeah. which is kind of on the floor, you have a higher chance to survive. And they say, if they manage to break in, obviously they will, right? It's a bed against yeah. the wall. Like nothing <laughs> yeah. is going to block exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> they're actually going to capture you. And they say, if they capture you, like don't fight, uh, they're going to capture you and we'll try our best to find you. They don't say we'll find you. They say, we'll, we'll try, try our, our best. best. So it's like, okay, two hours in, welcome to Niger. And you're like, oh my God. <laughs> and you are now, fine. Now, now I'm starting to, to be a bit worried, but you don't really think about it, right? Yeah, you can. And then anywhere you go. So you basically just go from the hotel to the office, right? And then you always have like bodyguards with you in the minivan. There's a kind of an escort, right? Like a caravan. Yeah, yeah. And then at the, um, any building you enter, you have a guy that has a long stick with a mirror, a oh, mirror yeah. at the end, and he checks, checks the under car. The, the car if there's a bomb underneath. Of course. Uh, and then there is this like 
dented kind of um, things, like metallic spikes okay, on yeah, the floor. Yeah, yeah, the spikes, so, right? so in case then, you try to run away. In case the car tries to like uh, drive into the hotel or whatever. Right, 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 right. So right. you have like, it's basically like a compound, right? But like highly secure kind of facility. That's what you do. Um, for like 10 days, right? You go to the office every day. And then on Friday, you know, everyone in the office is wearing the cool, nice local outfit and stuff. Right. And like me being the chameleon, right? So yes. I, I kind of like become friends with everyone and I'm very happy and they want to make me one, right? Okay. So, but they say we can only like, it's tailored, right? So they say, okay, let's go to the market together. Ooh, nice. So then me, I'm like, yeah, Saturday is the weekend. I want to go to the market. For sure. But then obviously you cannot go, right? So I tell, you know, the, the senior people in my, uh, in my team, and obviously the safety and they say, yeah, you cannot go to the market. Market is very dangerous. So you couldn't get your tailored. Yeah, I couldn't get my Niger. tailored uh, Niger outfit. Yeah. Oh. But they, they look pretty cool. But yeah. um, I couldn't get it. And then, yeah, so we kind of safe. Obviously I'm here, right? So nothing happens. I think it's, I make it sound very dramatic as well, but it's kind of like that. But actually the only night when I didn't sleep, and this is kind of funny. <laughs> um, so I have my bodyguard outside the bungalow, right? So I'm sleeping and stuff. And then I start hearing noises, like scratching. <laughs> I'm like, oh, what is this? You know, it's like 3 a.m., right? So you're like, you know, half awake. You're like, you open the lights. And then I see this massive iguana <laughs> in, in, the, in the bungalow. And me, I'm, I'm not a fan of insects or like, you know, I like insects when they're outside, right? But in your house, it's your own space, right? So right. they need to know my boundaries. Exactly. They need I'm already in the middle of the jungle. Right. Please. How old are you? <laughs> so that massive iguana is there and he's like on the ceiling, right? So then I'm like... I don't really like insects. So I'm like, okay, I'm not sleeping. So I keep the light on and I'm literally staring at this iguana. And obviously it's 3am. So you wake up, your emotions are all over the place. So I start thinking, if this thing's come, jumps on me, bites me, I'm sure he didn't get a vaccine. No one took him to the, to the vet, right? Like you right. take, Did like you get an iguana vaccine? <laughs> I didn't take the iguana vaccine either. So I'm right. like, oh my God. Trouble. So I was like, okay. So I'm literally sitting on a chair, staring at that iguana. All to night. make sure that, yeah, for the, like, for the next like three, three, four hours, no looking way. at the iguana. And then eventually I, I fall asleep, right? Because I'm thinking that iguana, like if he drops on the floor, if he's like on the floor, if it's on the bed, he's going to run around everywhere. He's going to be scared of me. I'm going to be <laughs> scared bite, of him. Bite your leg off. He's going to bite me at some point. <laughs> so I'm like, oh my God, I come all the way. I'm surviving the, 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 the everything. The, and then it's an iguana that comes to my, to my, to my bedroom. And right. And to your demise. <laughs> So I stare at the iguana and then the day after, this is very funny. I go to a reception and I say, there is this animal in the, in the room. They're all laughing at me because this is like nothing, right? It's exactly. like a cockroach here right. in, uh, when you walk down in, at the street. in it's like one mosquito. So they're like, whoa, ha, 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 this guy. And then they change me room. And then I go into the room. I check under the bed, under the mattress. I'm literally like, you know, flipping everything over to make sure there's no iguana. I make sure I close all the windows and all that. Because I can't, like, they can't be episode two of Iguana, right? They're going to think this guy is, uh, he's, uh, you know, he's not, a, you know, I'm not <laughs> going to say make it here. Word. Yeah, but, you know, so I'm like, yeah. So that was kind of the only night when I, I didn't actually, uh, I didn't sleep well. But the rest of the time is good. And then we had to go back at some point during the year as well. So I went the second time. Wow. And like, same thing happens. And obviously everything is very safe and everything is in place as well. Huh. But uh, but yeah, kind of a cool experience. You know, you're That's there. Amazing. It's like so hot. You're wearing your your white shirt. La la la. You know, you're like in the car. There's bodyguards. Like you know, it was kind of a fun yeah, experience. That's super. Looking cool. Looking back, I'm like, you know, I was 23. I went there. I was like, this wow, is this like is like EY fun. nerd. Yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> I'm like, this is kind of fun. 
you know, I would never go back. Right. And it's like, you know, if you didn't have that job, that opportunity, you would have never, you know, been to a country like that, experienced all of these things as well. Oh man. So how was the accounting? Did everything come out <laughs> fine? Yeah. So that's actually quite funny because, so this company, you can, it's publicly available information. So you can, okay, you um, can, the, you the, can Google the, it. a little disclaimer here. Exactly. You can, you can just Google <laughs> what happened, right? If you type, you know, energy, French company, and then, you know, Africa or some keywords. And iguana. And iguana for sure. There's a big picture of me, maybe. Exactly. <laughs> freaking out. <laughs> Flipping over mattresses. Yeah. You can find this on Google. <laughs> But, um, but yeah, so actually, you know, we went there because we needed to check that, you know, the stock or the inventory of the natural resources was there, right? So you literally need to go and you need to count, you know, if you do an inventory, if you're like a pharmacy, you need to count, you know, how many boxes of medicine you have, right? Mm. Or like bottles of the syrups. Yes. But there is like natural resources, which is uranium, right? So you have to go Ooh. on the mine and you have to check that, you know, the, I don't know, you obviously you don't go touch it. <laughs> but you need to check that, you know, they are here, you know, the stocks look like uh, full and or whatever. So that physical stock there is properly reflected into the financial statements, right? So we go and then one day, obviously for each of the trip, you're supposed to go onto the mine and like, you know, see things from your own eyes. And both trips, there's always been an issue with the region where the mine was located, right? Because it's not like in the city center. It's literally, you know, two or three hours Up drive. in the mountains. So you have to literally go there. And one time they claim, you know, it's like not safe. The other time they claim that there's been an incident on the mine itself and all these things, right? And actually, if you now Google, you can see that apparently these mine, it's not that they never existed, but they were not already being exploited, right? So basically the, the natural resource, so the product itself was not there. So it's not something that you could actually say that you have in your inventory. So, you know, a okay. lot of... Uh, and then obviously this company uh, so the did by, not uh, exist by the government. And so apparently the inventory didn't exist at the time. Huh. I think it, it does exist now, but uh, yeah. And then that company obviously quite a big one. And then, you know, they changed, you know, uh, the CEO, the president, all these things, they even changed their name and stuff. So, wow. You know, I think typical, um, typical, uh, you know, government backed company. Exploitation uh, in, uh, in Africa. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and natural resources space. So yeah, it's a dirty uh, business. It's a little bit shady. Yeah. Where did the money go? I don't know. EY man. Yeah, I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, wow. That I don't know, yeah. But uh, no, it's quite interesting. So I do EY. So I get into because I mean that let's say engineers group, like they do the cool, the cool, the cool yeah. client stuff, right? So I do this. I have the chance to also go to uh, San Francisco for uh, mm. actually it's quite unusual, but there's this French company who acquired a, a startup in San Francisco. So we had to make sure that, you know, everything was looking good for the merger to the emergency. Yeah, to happen. So this is kind of my first experience in San Francisco in Silicon Valley. And then I'm like, you know, this is a cool startup. There's like a fully stacked kitchen. And, and this is back in like 2010, right? 2010, mm. 2012. So it's um, it's not like Silicon Valley today, right? Yeah. A few years back. But I'm like, wow, this is kind of cool. And then, you know, me, I'm like here every day wearing my suits, my shirts and all that. These people, they literally go to work in like, you know, flip-flops. Exactly. Shirts, Hoodies. Like yeah, exactly. So I'm like, wow, this is kind of cool. Okay. I take, I take notes. Yeah. I take notes of uh, this kind of, uh, you know, startup vibe. Exactly. So EY, a few years, I think three years. And then I moved to London because I was kind of, uh, you know, it's France at the end of the day, right? So it's very traditional in this kind of industry, let's say, in mm -hmm. terms of, you know, opportunities. And at the end of the day, look at me, I look more Asian than I look French, right? Mm. So even if you're like fully French on paper, you know, you're aware that, you know, for some people, 
they're not going to be your best friend. Right? Mm. Um, so basically, you know, I understand that, you know, the opportunities may not be the same for me than for other people, right? And mm. it's not, and me being, you know, very driven by this performance, let's say environment, mm -hmm. when I exposed to this kind of thing, I say, okay, I call BS, right? So yeah. I'm like, I'm good. I'm not the best, right? I'm here to learn as well. Mm. But I know people who might not be as good as me that, you know, maybe get promoted more or these things, right? So right. I get a little bit frustrated. I'm young as well, right? So I might be 25, 26, right? right. So I'm like, well, this is BS, blah, 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 blah. Exactly. Blah. So I'm like, okay, I'm moving to London. I had a friend who was working for a finance company on a trading floor. And then he's like, yo, um, we actually, you know, looking for people to join as well, right? So we have this program in place where you basically train and then we only take the best one out of, uh, I think, six to eight weeks. Oh. Um, we only take the best, the top ones out of this small, you know, batch of people who want the, the job basically, right? Okay. So I'm like, oh, this kind of fits this is my, my type uh, of thing. My kind of gig, you know, this is what I like. So Another I'm boot like, camp. Okay, I go there joining that small team. So I managed to do okay, right? So then I joined the team. It's like a small, basically trading floor where you have your four screens that you mentioned during your intro. <laughs> you have your four screen in front of you and then you basically click buttons, right? Yes. We made this joke the other day, but you're basically <laughs> a, a clicking monkey. So you basically <laughs> see green or you see red and based on what you see you try to make sure you click the same color on the keyboard right this is squid game <laughs> stuff dystopian exactly so you do that i think for me it's like you know i'm very curious so i always wanted to understand how geopolitics or geography or even you know monetary policy affects the markets you know i think my dad really did a good job at kind of creating that sense of uh, curiosity in me when i was like i don't know 12 13 he was buying this, uh, you know, financial newspaper. It's called Le Monde. Le Monde? Yeah. So okay. during, he would buy me the Le Monde. It's not a financial newspaper, but it's kind of... But it's a when good you're one. When you're 12 and no political party, uh, you know, I'm not choosing any political party, right? One day we read Le Monde, one day we read another one as mm -hmm. well, right? Mm -hmm. But you're reading this newspaper when you're like 12, 13 and stuff. So first of all, some of the words you never heard about, you know, in school or anything like that, right? Right. So then, you know, it would take me literally maybe 30 minutes to read like six or seven sentences. And I was like, we didn't have an iPhone back in the days, right? Exactly. So you literally have your uh, pocket dictionary and I would go through and try to, you know, read and learn new words and stuff, right? right? right so right. this is one example, right? But you always kind of push me to go out of my uh, comfort zone. Literally, another story is about Spain, but maybe I'll tell you the story after. Mm. Otherwise, I'm diverging too much. Okay. But um, so, yeah, my dad really always kind of put that sense of curiosity in me and like always go out there, go ask questions and stuff. So I always wanted to understand, my point is, always wanting to understand how this macro environment affects the markets, right? So when something happens, tensions in the Middle East, or there is, you know, a cargo stuck in this like, you know, small straits, how is it going to actually affect the price of oil, right? Because right. obviously... A cargo that is stuck obviously means delivery is going to be late. Delivery being late, meaning, you know, supply of demand equation is going to be affected. Mm -hmm. Obviously, your price reacts to that, right? Because the price of any assets, right, is basically based on a future expectation, right? Exactly. Like Futures, commodities. Exactly. What you're trading today is basically what we expect to happen in the future. So forward-looking kind of. Mm. Um, so basically, I do that for two and a half years, I think. It's quite interesting. I really like it, right? It's very, as I said, performance-driven. It's very transparent. In the morning, you make money, you're happy. In the afternoon, you lose money, you're sad. But, you know, it's very transparent. Everyone right, sees right, your performance. Right. And I think this kind of initiated, like kind of ignite? Ignite? Ignited? Ignited, that's the word. Yeah. 
Thank you, teacher. Yes, no problem. I'm here for you. Ignited, <laughs> ignited in me this kind of, um, you know, being aware of my emotions because you cannot Ooh. trade with your emotions, right? Like if that's you're right. happy in the morning, you think, oh, that's it. I'm the next big dog and I'm whatever. I'm shit. Here and we then go. you're like, oh, green and button, green no, button. Nothing worse can happen that, you know, you have to make this money in the morning. Yeah. And then you see everything going to zero in the afternoon. And this is a very bad feeling, right? Exactly. And then same thing. If you're very sad in the morning because you had a bad trade, let's say, and then, okay, you're thinking you're the worst person, right? You're terrible. Why are you even doing this job or whatever? Right. Then obviously you don't have all the opportunities from the afternoon, right? Because you're based in London. So the market moves more in the afternoon because it's US time, right? Yeah. Uh, so this is when all the volume comes in and all that. But you're like, oh, okay. I actually you're like hesitating to push that button. Exactly. So you need to be in control of your emotion. Good, bad. But basically you cannot become this robot as well. And you're like, I'm desensitized to everything. I know. Like it's good news. It's bad news. At the end of the day, I only care about where the market is going to go. What are on these four screens? So different asset class. So you have, um, let's say one of the screen is a feed, let's say uh, a news feed. Anything that happens, it just pops up on your screen. So you have these kind of alerts. Right. say, oh, someone come and tweeted about this. It's a news that can affect the market. So you need to be aware of that. So you're monitoring the screen from one eye. But you also have a squawk box. So someone, a service that you pay, basically, and the guy shouts in the microphone, like, you know, the governor of Bank of England, Mark Carney just comes and say he's cutting interest rate, right? Obviously, right. this is going to affect the price of the bond for the UK government and then the price of the pound as well, right? And then obviously the equity that are based in the UK. Right. Um, so then you like- Just making clicking calculations. Button, blah, 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 clicking button, <laughs> clicking button. And then on the other screens, you have all the other charts, right? So you're monitoring different charts because assets are correlated, right? Mm -hmm. So let's say if you trade uh, gold, then obviously you're not going to do the same trade for the equity market. If it's like a risk on, risk off, or like all these kind of, yeah, I don't know if it's technical, right? But all these kind of uh, mm. you know, rules that you know, right? And then mm -hmm. you have all of your assets. So like currency, you have bonds, as I said, you have Commodities. equity. And then commodities, so yeah. like gold, oil, these ones mainly. Did you specialize in one particular I asset I think for class? me, what I kind of liked is the uh, the asset that moves the most, right? Because I'm Ooh, not really patient by, yeah. by, by nature. You're a so gambler. You cannot, no, no, no it's not, it's, not, it's uh, maybe risk management. It's uh, controlled gambling. Okay, I like it. But, I um, like it. But, Good marketing. But, um, You're a marketer. But, uh, <laughs> but basically, yeah, you have to make sure that, you know, all the um, positions that you enter, you basically have a controlled risk. Mm -hmm. So you have kind of a stop loss. So, you know, it takes you out of the position if, if the market is going against you, right? So it's not you being emotional human being, right? Like making decisions. You kind of have these parameters in place as well that there's automatically trigger uh, whatever you need to trigger. Mm. Um, so mostly, you know, gold and oil because they are the ones that move the, the mm. faster as well. And then every week on Wednesday afternoon, it's a 3.30 p.m. I don't know why I remember this, but I remember 3.30 p.m. A UK time, you have the oil inventory data that's coming out of the U.S. Okay. And usually that report basically moves the oil. So basically, uh, you're kind of looking, because we were doing training based on news like that, right? Or, mm -hmm. or economic data. So you're kind of looking forward to these events because you know that the market is going to give it's you an opportunity at that time, right? So as I said, you kind of become desensitized, right? You become like a robot. And actually there's something that happened in London back in those days that kind of triggered my next move, right? So mm. basically, you know, the office is in uh, the city, right? So it's uh, central London, okay. it's the city, there's a Bank of England, there's all these like traditional financial institutions. And a lot of people actually work in finance in London, right? Financial is it services. Canary Wharf? 
Uh, Canary Wharf is it's like a new far, one. It's, it's more the new one. Yeah, this yeah, is yeah, like yeah. the traditional OG kind of place. Okay. Like Bank of England a few hundred years ago is there that everything started. Okay. And a lot of people commute on a bridge called London Bridge, which yes. goes from a south of the river into the city, right? Like 10 minutes walk. And then that morning, there's been a stabbing, right? So someone like stabbed someone mm-hmm. in a, a worker that was just going to work, right? Yeah. Which is very unfortunate. And then obviously you on the trading floor, and this is an event that the scope box is telling you about, right? Right. And then the market actually reacts to that. And then... This is when I was like, okay, you trade, right? Because this is what you basically programmed to do. Exactly. And then you're like, oh, wow. You basically just made money off someone getting stabbed. Right. right? So you're like, oh, okay. So my, I'm not saying as spiritual or like I'm a good person or whatever, right? But for mm. me, I feel like, okay, you need to put good things out there to get good things as well. So I'm like, okay, this is kind of against my, uh, my kind of beliefs, right? So I cannot Principles. do this. I cannot do this. Wow, um, so that I'm was like, your awakening. Your that epiphany. was my awakening. It was, it was, really. It was really. That's interesting. And A then stabbing I was like, on London Bridge. It's crazy. But yeah, so then I was like, you know, I was living with my uh, my flatmate. I had a flatmate from college, actually, from uh, UK. We're living together and he works in tech. So he's a software developer. His girlfriend also back in the days worked in tech for Amazon, I think. So they were like completely different lifestyle than mine, right? Huh. Um, so I was living with him. And, you know, Sunday evening, I'm here ironing my five shirts because I'm getting ready for the week. And during the week, I don't really have time to spend on ironing shirts, right? So I may as well get everything ready. So during the week, I focus on work, basically, right? Right. And then I'm doing all this kind of, uh, it's not boring, right? But it's not as, I thought to myself, I said to myself, like, this is not as cool as them, right? So like they're here, they're chilling, MacBook, working on the couch, working from cafe shop and all that. So I'm like, wow, this is kind of cool. So I'm like, at the same time, all of this kind of, uh, revelation is happening i'm yeah. like okay i've done enough i think of finance i really wanted to work in finance because i coming from an engineering background i really wanted to understand and be exposed to that environment and i feel like this kind of was my mini mba right where at ey you kind of go meet every you know high level people from all of the companies the head of hiring head of finance all of this and like you learn from them what is their process is there any risk all of these things so every like, you know, two, three weeks, you meet so many companies. So I think it's like amazing it's first MBA job. for sure. Yeah. And then obviously with the experience on the training floor, you're like, well, now I understand global macro. Like yeah. I know monetary policy and all of these things and how they affect asset classes mm-hmm. and how they affect the market in general. So I'm like, okay, now I think, you know, this is enough. I've learned enough. Mm. Next move. At the same time, as I said, I'm like, okay, I want to do something now. I want to roll up my sleeves and I want to build something, right? right? Because this is more exciting, I think. And then there's this company that's coming from the U.S., from San Francisco. So they started in 2015, I think, officially maybe like, you know, kind of picking things up in 2016. And then in 2018, they start the London office, right? And they want to go after France, Germany, and the UK. So it's this team of, you know, five to six, I think, or 10 Americans, they come from SF and they're like, you know, hiring local people, mm. right? To actually launch each of the markets. So it's a company called Samsara. They're doing like IoT, AI kind of technology, all the products, because there's a hardware and software component as well. Uh, the hardware is all made in Taiwan. Mm. They actually have an office here for the product and engineering team mm-hmm. on the obviously manufacturing side here in Taiwan. And then, yeah, so they, you know, they're like, okay, we need people from France. We need people from UK. We need people from Germany so that we go after each of the market, right? Because they're kind of aware that Europe is not the US where everyone speaks the same language and all these things, right? And then culturally is different. Regulation is different from country to country and all these things. So I go there as an early employee for the French market. And they're like, okay, here's a laptop. You know, the CEO flies from the US to give us the onboarding session. Hmm. Um, because I think we are the kind of the biggest group that starts at the same time. And then two weeks later, we we're all flying to SF 
for sales kickoff, they call it, right? So it's an internal, let's say, annual event for each tech company mm. where they talk about performance of last year's, they talk about, you know, the product, they talk about, you know, next year. So because all the office from London was going to fly to US, he actually flew to give us the onboarding, right? And then he teaches us this, that, 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 that. This was is it the Sanjit? Yeah. Okay. The yeah, man. Yeah. So he flew himself. He actually, you know, is a second time entrepreneur. He actually mm -hmm. was the guy who worked at Meraki. So he studied Meraki with his PhD. Um, out of MIT. Out of uh, MIT. They got some funding from Google and then they moved to SF and then they got acquired by Cisco, which is right. now Cisco Meraki. A few years later, they studied Samsara, which is the story that I'm telling now. Right. But basically, uh, he flies to London. We have this office. It's nice, but it's like, I'm sure the first office that they actually found, right? Like uh -huh. it's, um, it's cool, but it's like, you know, it's nothing like uh, fancy or anything like that, right? Startup, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like cold and stuff in the office, right? Mm -hmm. Hitting didn't work. Right. <laughs> and then we there and then we start. So they give you a laptop and they're looking for people that, you know, not junior people, right? Because they're yeah. looking for people who actually, you know, can get, you know, shit done from the beginning, right? Because exactly. it's like we on a timeline. I didn't know out. we were on a timeline, but after a few <laughs> years later, I realized that the timeline was actually getting ready for IPO, right? Right. So we were basically on a timeline and like, you know, if someone is good, we keep him. If someone is not good, we basically get rid of them. Right, right. right. So you're like, me again, this is the environment I like. You're like exactly. telling me this, this is the objective for the month, the objective for the quarter. Well, I'm going to make it Push happen. You. Yeah. I'm going to do it, right? And then call me, tell me I'm bad, whatever. I'm going to show you I'm good. Right, 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 right. So right. this is perfect for me. Yeah. I'm like, wow, this is so cool. And then basically, <laughs> you know, you have the product, you try to understand the market, you go out there, you have some sort of MVP, right? Like a yeah. minimal viable product. You talk to customers as many as you can. You basically call a hundred people, 10 people pick up. One person is going to say, okay, yeah, let's cold call. Right? It's crazy. It's very aggressive, but I really enjoy it. Yeah. And then you talk to all these people. They basically, you know, you're based out of London. You're selling a US, uh, you know, technology, right? right? French people, yeah, I'm, I'm sure you know them. Uh, they're a bit <laughs> like traditional. Right? Yeah. They're like, if you don't come to have lunch for me for exactly. two hours and open a bottle of red wine, yes. I'm not interested in talking to you, right? That's right. So you're like, oh, okay, this is a bit challenging. So you're like, yeah, we're in London now, but we're going to come, whatever, blah, 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 to this trade show or whatever, right? So you always right. got to tell a story. Mm. And then we start, you know, getting some early traction. Obviously, you get some people that are kind of, you know, younger, maybe generation, because you're selling into a very traditional industry as well. It's like operations, logistics. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a pen and paper industry. People have not really, you know, disrupt their technology or their work process for many years. Exactly. So they're like very comfortable with, you know, spending two hours every night writing things on paper and like typing on Excel, right? Mm -hmm. So we're basically here to change that. To disrupt. So that's why we managed to do get some early tractions. And then once you get these early customers in the door, you know, they become your champion, right? Yeah. So they're actually doing all the work for you. And then I would have people calling, oh, Philippe, I talked to this guy and I knew this was good news, right? Oh, yeah, he told me about exactly. you, what you're doing and blah, 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 right? So you basically built all your kind of portfolio for a few years. And uh, yeah, it's very exciting. Every you know year you fly to the US for like meeting with everyone at the headquarter. They do these programs where they promote, you know, the best performer in the company and you manage to gain some awards and then you have some trips to Paris. Or so for me, Paris is not exciting, but obviously- <laughs> you, you want a trip you, to Paris? Yeah, so I want a trip to Paris. So you, <laughs> actually you stay in a nice hotel, all that, but then in the afternoon, I went to visit my family. So, right. I, you know, you I'm a family like person it. as well. You couldn't right? redeem so, it for like uh, Niger or something? Couldn't. No. So I'm like, you know, I can't go to Paris, which is not far, right? But then not go visit my mom, my dad, my grandparents, right? Sure. So actually the whole afternoon I go spend at home. Have some dumplings. Like, have some dumplings. And then like the one we frozen from Chinese New Year. <laughs> oh, I see. Yeah. <laughs> and then we're like, okay, um, okay, now I go back and then we have fun with the team in Paris and all these things. 
So it's very good experience. And obviously, you know, if you Google Samsara, you can see that they uh, did an IPO. In, December uh, this, 15th? Yeah, December 15th, 2021. 2021. Yeah. Which is basically three years after I joined. And this is basically six six years after the company like officially started. Right? Yeah, it's crazy. So it is kind of crazy. And then I stayed there until the summer last year. So summer 2022. Oh, um, and then, yeah, I was one of the longest guy there because obviously this high turnover of people, because you really need to find the right profile, right? Like it's this kind of company that, you know, hyper growth and you literally got to go big or go yeah, home. Exactly. It, it, you need to find the right people to actually make it happen. And obviously right. it's a very US kind of culture and, and in Europe, like, you know, not everyone is kind of thinking the same way. Yeah. And like, you know, the experienced people, obviously, you know, they're like, oh, I'm at previous company. I had all these kind of uh, people here to support me. I had all this team, whereas there, they basically give you the laptop and you get to figure, figure things it out. out. Yeah. You figure it out. So you're like literally your, your own boss. For me, I was saying like, okay, this is my market. France is mine. Let me make it happen. And then yeah. we managed to do okay and stuff. And the reason why I said earlier, you know, we were on the timeline is because, you know, when you do IPO, there's many parameters that are affecting the price of your IPO, right? And of course, I think two is, you know, if you show that you have potential in terms of products, so like new features, new products, targeting maybe new verticals and all that. Mm -hmm. So it's like positive. And then that you successfully have you know, expanded into new geographies. So you need mm -hmm. to make sure that Europe worked and worked very quickly because, you know, this kind of affects, you know, all of us because we all, you know, kind of shareholders of the company as an employee, right? Right. Um, so yeah, that message was very clear and in my head. And, you know, this was not a job for me. This was like an amazing experience. They kind of trusted me to do this, promoted me as well quite quickly and all these things so i was uh -huh. like wow this is my baby i'm actually so happy to do this yeah. and it's like i even told the ceo right one day he came to london and i said you know this is the best job i've ever had i don't even feel that i'm going to work every day right because you're so emotionally attached to the company because you literally see it growing from this cold office with right, like i don't right, know right. 15 people to like you know a nice office is warm I don't know why I'm making this analogy on temperature. It's an important thing. That's all he cared about in his benefits package. That's all you negotiated for. That's why you got the promotion so easily. Like, dude, this dude's easy. Oh, it's, amazing. Uh, it's a big office. Like you have a few hundred people and all these things. And then obviously after the IPO is different. And I've been there for like almost four years. So I'm like, you know, this is the time now to go into the next thing. Right. And oh. I'm like, wow. This is amazing. Now I kind of, you know, back to my trip to San Francisco at EY, looking at right. all these startups. Those I'm like, wow, now I lived notes. this. I kind of lived it. Yeah. So now, okay, on to the next, uh, the next challenge, right? On to the next um, one. So then I met a very, you know, talented game developer. He used to work for um, The Witcher 3, which is kind of a, a oh, successful game. Yeah, PlayStation. Um, yeah, um, CD Projekt Red, best out of Holland. So he, the guy is good, he's talented. I met him at a conference because I was kind of looking for, okay, what's next, right? Like, what am I going to do now? So basically, you know, we meet and then he's telling me he's working on this um, project. He's building this game. And I'm like, wow, he's done it with like two of his high school buddies. Wow. Uh, wow, this is kind of cool. The game is already there. You can play it. It's playable and all these things. So I'm like, wow, this is interesting. And obviously he's like, okay, now I need to get to the next level. So I'm like, yeah, I think I can help you because literally that's what I've done yeah, you know, for yeah, the last yeah, four yeah, years, yeah. right? I'm not here selling him the dream. I'm like, oh, don't worry, trust me. This. I'm like, just listen to what I've done before. Right. And if you think there is a match between us, let's make it happen. Right. Everything we kind of bonded and all these things. So we basically, you know, turned the company into an investable company, right? And take oh. it to the next level. Kind of replicating what I've done for four years, yeah, building the French market, right? As I'm sorry as well. So you basically came in kind of a BD role. I think it's more like on the business, yeah, business and like on the strategy, but it's not BD, like, uh, it's more on the strategy. How do you actually make this company 
a company because it's just a project, right? Right. So we basically, okay. okay, the website, the LinkedIn profile of everyone. Okay, now what is the next step? So it's a video game, right? But it integrates some blockchain element as well. Okay. Um, but we only started literally earlier this year, right? 2023. Um, so obviously this after the big, let's say a gaming boom in blockchain, which happened, you know, 2020, 2021. Mm -hmm. So we had to be very cautious because obviously a lot of people managed to raise a lot of money with like a pitch deck and a trailer, mm -hmm. not even a, a playable, but obviously, you know, these projects are not here anymore. Right. So we had to make sure we really distance ourselves from that. And this is not the image we give because this is not who we are. Right? Okay. So let's just show who we actually are. And we are people who just build things, you know, from kind of scratch. Right. And our vision is long-term. We're not here to just make the, 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 the quick, the quick bucks yeah. and like get a hype, sell some NFTs and just be like, oh, okay, yeah, everyone is waiting for a game because we targeted, you know, kind of the hardcore gamers. The hardcore gamers don't care about buying a picture and waiting one year to play your game, right? Mm. They want to see what you can put on the table for yeah. them. So we actually never, you know, sold any NFT or anything like that. We focused on the project. And we basically, you know, started talking to raise some capital and, you know, put a strategy to target, you know, some strategic investors, gaming investors, like traditional VCs as well, that maybe are still, you know, happy to deploy capital because this is mm. kind of tough. Yeah. I think this year or like last year, 2022 was one of the hardest fundraising environment for startups yeah, since like not, 2016. It's difficult right now. It was literally one of the hardest things that I've ever done in, in business, I think. But yeah, we managed to, you know, get some traction with some investors and get some investment into the door and, and getting a seed round together. So so now obviously mm. uh, the team is growing and, and it's mostly technical, right? Because as I said, we focus on the product first. So it's all about, you know, putting a quality product out there and then, you know, having a, a let's say, intelligent way to go to market and, mm. to, and to target the users. But this is what uh, we managed to do so far. And I think that product first approach has played in our favor until now, because obviously also some details, right? But you don't raise tokens, you raise equity. So you are basically, you know, building a traditional startup, mm. uh, if I can use that term, right? So you give exactly. equity for long-term partnerships with your, with your investors as well, right. rather than just, you know, creating some kind of formal with like a token launch on a big exchange and then you know, unfortunately, you don't control the price of your token. So mm. most likely than not, it's going to go down and mm. down quite a lot. So then unfortunately, people are going to see your project and going to be like, oh, you guys are shit. And you don't want, basically, you want to be in control of your destiny, right? So you yeah. don't want the market dictating whatever the price of your token, you know, should be, right? So mm. that's why we decided not to launch a token as well and register the token. Focus on the actual product. Yeah it's, yeah, it's still a few years away, I guess, from really finding that tokenomics model that makes sense and, and uh. work. So until then, uh, we don't want to be the guinea pig that just dies uh, right, along the right, way, right, right? right? So we may as well just focus on the product first. What are some of those blockchain elements? So basically, you know, all of the assets are based on chain. So, you know, you give full ownership to the players, but that's kind of very basic. But then some different modes that we have as well all the transactions that happen. So let's say there is a battle royale. So it's basically 10 of us, you, me, and then eight other people in a room. And if we want, we can also bet and say, okay, winner takes all. So we will put, let's say $1 on the table. And then after, you know, your battle, which lasts I don't know, a few minutes, mm. uh, you can make $10, right? But all of these uh, transactions are based on chain. So it's like, you know, fully transparent, automated, and there's no like, okay, we are the bank basically, and no one wins at the end, right? Mm. It's, it's all written in code. So all of that is transparent. So that's one example Ooh, of what's on chain as well. Yeah. Okay. And then there's also element as well, but basically based on your performance, let's say during uh, level one to 10, basically all of that is recorded as well on chain. And then obviously you have some element that's going to happen 
uh, let's say random, I'm not sure if I can say random, but you have, let's say elements that are going to happen to you in, let's say level 10 to 15, that would be different from someone who had a different experience from level one to 15. And all of that you can write in the, in, in the code. code as well. Yeah. Right. Um, but, but yeah, that's what we managed to do for the last few months until let's say this summer. And then this summer we managed to get that funding. So the team now is kind of uh, fully, it's kind of, uh, you know, flying alone now. It's like, you know, self-sustaining, let's say like okay. the team is kind of building now, building the products, building the project. So we can launch in a few quarters. Yeah. I think uh, before the summer next year. Okay. Yeah. What, what platform will it launch on? Uh, so now it, it's based on Unity, right? So it's, okay. uh, it's PC first, but then it's going to be mobile as well. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So it's going to be cross-platform. Mm. Yeah. So you can literally, you know, play a, a session from your laptop and continue playing on your phone while you're on the Metro or something. Right, 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 right. So that, and then obviously in 2023, I also moved to, um, to Taiwan. So back to Taiwan, uh, you know, late 2022, I moved out of London. I spent a few weeks at home in Paris and then I moved here earlier this year before the summer. And then, yeah, I've been here ever since. And then, you know, trying to, again, meet people from the tech scene, few friends that have founders, friends, like working on different cool projects and stuff. Meeting these people, just telling them about my background, about my experience, what I've done. Some of them are interested because they feel, you know, kind of bridge the gap between the two, right? Like, mm. obviously, my background, personally, me as an individual being like mixed, right? But then also with the experience from, you know, um, Europe and then the U.S. startup and all that, there's kind of a lot of things to do. So always meeting new founders, grabbing coffees, helping them as well with some of their projects. Like some of them have been around for, for a few years. And then only now they're kind of thinking about going to new countries, new geographies, mm. like across Southeast Asia and stuff, or like even thinking about raising. So I'm like, oh, wow, this is very different from what I've seen before, right? right. Where it's like, just go, go big, go home, go fast, right? Exactly. And then here is like, it's different, right? The culture is kind of different. It's going much slower. So I'm like, wow, after six years, you're only thinking now to go to Southeast Asia. I'm like, wow. Right. In seven years at Samsara, we actually did the IPO, right? Obviously right. it's not comparable, but you know, there are things to learn from each experience, right? Exactly. So this is what I'm trying to do. So, you know, helping a few clients, I call them clients, like a few friends, but like we're working together on like, you know, on a commercial deal. So I'm helping them obviously with the strategy, you know, go to market sales as well. You're kind of being more aggressive, right? Like kind of mm. being bridging the gap because the talent pool, the technology here is obviously very good. I spent a few days last week, there is a meet type air, right? A big uh, startup yep. event. And you know, there's some amazing technology, like first time for me to hear about 6G, right? Mm. Uh, and I'm like, wow, this is already happening here. But then obviously, you know, the way you market, the way you brand, you know, like HTC back in the days, right? Like they had a very yes. good technology, but then no one had HTC phones. But then obviously if they had a better strategy, I think, you know, Things yeah, could have been collapsed. different for these guys. So it's kind of, yeah, that kind of principle that unfortunately is here. But, uh, you know, this is kind of my, uh, I think it's kind of my calling, right? My mission is really bridging that gap, kind of being that platform, that deck that you can stand on to actually, you know, maybe. And I don't have the pretension to know everything and I'm still learning every day, right? And I'm not even going out there to these people telling them, oh, I can help you. I just meet them at conferences or these different events. And then they feel like, oh, okay, there's something from this guy's experience that I can use in my favor, right? That mm. I can benefit from. So I'm like, okay, let's make it happen, right? Because at the end of the day, for me, I'm helping people. It's very interesting, his new projects. And then you see literally, you are the one in charge, right? You're kind of the artisan, right? Mm. That's from dumpling making analogy, right? You literally have your flour, you have your water and you build something. And then you do the same thing when you sign a deal because you're going into Vietnam, for instance. Well, if you didn't do it, no one would have done it, right? No one is coming to call you and say, oh, I have a deal for you, mm -hmm. here it is sign here, exactly. right? So it's like, it's very satisfactory as well, right? You get a lot of uh, joy out of, you know, making things happen and building things. So this is what I've been doing. And then I realized that, you know, 
there is many more people like me and many more founders as well that can be helped and help across because you know life of a founder is very hard people make it sound easy right but it's like lonely it's lonely you yeah. have anxiety many nights even maybe to this day i wake up in the middle of the night and I, i'm stressed like right because cold I'm, sweat yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah literally yeah, yeah, anxious yeah. right and then unfortunately you look at your phone and a phone gives you even more anxiety exactly right? because you read a text yeah or something or whatever or the lights and you're like oh I can't sleep now. I was just walking around in my house or something. 100%, yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's very stressful. And as a founder, you have to think about many things, right? You have to think about fundraising. Okay, what is in my pitch deck? Who do I talk to? Which VCs are interesting? What violation I'm asking, right? Or if I'm storytelling, right? Like, yeah. okay, I started this project, but actually I, it was kind of random, whatever. But you cannot say that, right? So right. you're going to come up with a story. So the way you tell story, and Marketing. if you're a technical founder, obviously it's maybe you don't know your strong suit, right? So mm -hmm. you need help. And then once you successfully, let's say, raise money, okay, how are you going to actually use that money? Now? Right. How are you going to hire the right people, create the right culture, actually launch your product as well? Are you going to launch in one country first, one product or, you know, one country with many features or then many countries with the same product at once? Like all of these kind of questions that- What is the strategy? What is the yeah. roadmap? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to figure everything out kind of by yourself, right? With exactly. maybe a few people. And then you have different resources available today. But I think that it's kind of limited because it's very generic. As I was telling you the other day, you mm. can just listen to podcasts, read books, go to an investor or go to an accelerator program or like all these things. But the advice that you would receive is very generic. It's very- mm -hmm. um, you know, it's not tailored either. It's not tailored. Yeah. It's, and then I think you need to talk those specifics, right? Right. It's December, 2023. Uh, you want to go to Vietnam today, right? With your, I don't know, marketing tech or IoT company, the global macro, you know, back to the trading floor. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, you know, interest rate decisions in the US, what's happening, all this thing. Everything is affecting everyone, right? Of course. Because you are a startup. Okay. You have your employees. Okay. But then you have your product and all of that, but you don't control basically your own destiny. Right? At some point, if you need to go to a new markets, you need to raise money. Money you need to be raised from investors, from VCs. VCs need to raise money as well from their LPs, right? Limited exactly. partners exactly. that maybe not as hungry as before to invest in VC, right? Because VC is like one of the most risky assets to invest in, right? So all of these things you need to basically understand so that you don't go out there to a VC and say, I need to raise $10 million, $100 million variation for my seed round, right? It makes right. no sense. Everyone is going to laugh at you and you come across like you're not ready unfortunately you know they're very quick to judge and then you move on to the next deal and you may have the best technology but you know unfortunately this is how it is mm -hmm. so this is what i've kind of trying to do on a personal basis and now i'm kind of building this platform so that we can scale this basically to help more founders actually go out there and be successful and obviously here in taiwan because the technology is kind of strong the people are talented but i think there is a lack of this kind of support maybe mm. that, that that you can give and, you know, people who have been there, done that, right? No BS, no consulting kind of approach where you just make recommendation and, you know, about things mm -hmm. that you have not actually, you know, been part of. Right. Like it's only people like, let's say me, who actually have had the chance to go through something big or like, you know, go from zero to basically an IPO or literally build stuff from scratch. It's not EY, then, it's Samsara. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know, everything is a good experience in my mm. head, right? I was telling you the other day, like, exactly. I tend to see everything, even if it's good or even if it's bad, uh, you know, as a learning experience. Everything happens for a reason, like, you know, God's plan, Drake song. I think it's, um, exactly. it's very, uh, it's You're very relevant. Drake. 
<laughs> it's very relevant. And, uh, you know, if you kind of shift your perspective to actually everything happens for a reason, and okay, this sucks, but- And learn you know, from everything. Exactly. exactly. I'm going to come out of this stronger and, you know, what doesn't kill you even makes you stronger. Mm -hmm. This is uh, Kanye West. Exactly. In Kanye West. Ways, so, yeah, yeah. Or Frederick Nietzsche, either one. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, basically, you know, this is kind of my mindset do this here in Taiwan, basically building this platform to bridge the gap. And I think as a personal kind of motivation as well, I feel like this is kind of my calling, as I said before, and it's kind of my background as well, right? Mm. Like uh, leveraging my uh, multicultural, you know, kind of uh, background and, and experience as well. So, so yeah, this Figuring is my, uh, my new baby. How to baby. basically scale this. Yeah, and scale what I'm doing. And I've been doing for the last few months with uh, founders as an individual doing at a bigger scale so that more people obviously can benefit from it. And it's always with that kind of philanthropic mission or drive as well to help others, right? Um, because this is kind of a big part of who I am as well. As I was telling you the other day, I uh, this is a personal kind of thing, right? And usually I don't really like to talk too much about this, but um, growing up, this was very uh, a hard topic to discuss. Obviously, over the years, this is something I kind of changed, but um, I only have one brother and my brother has a, has a disability, right? Mm. So he's my older brother. So I was born in that environment, right? So it's not like I'm older, I have a younger brother who's like disabled, right? And then, you know, I kind of look after him. For me, he's my older brother. So he looks after me kind of, right? Mm, it's yeah. kind of that dynamic. But unfortunately, my brother has a light you know, mental disability. When you see him, you can't really you know, say that he has disability, right? He goes to work every day, he takes like, you know, transportation, can do everything like physically. He used to do judo and stuff, right? So like capable mm. but then when he speaks then obviously you can tell he has a, a disability right and it's nothing genetics it's just unfortunate you know when the delivery process happened you know the doctor had to use a, a pinch uh, like oh, a, okay. a forceps yeah. you know to yeah, pull yeah, the yeah, baby yeah. out so obviously they pressed a bit too too hard on, oh, the, wow, really? on the brain so it damaged a little bit of the brain yeah so this is very unfortunate but you know oh. i think again this is the main reason why I, I am where I am today and who I am today as well, because, mm. you know, he is kind of my source of energy, right? Uh, when I do things, uh, when, I, when I'm doubting, maybe when I'm being scared, at the end of the day, you're scared about many things, right? Mm. And like uh, growing up as well, I look more Chinese, you can tell, than uh, or Asian, let's say, or Taiwanese. Let's use the right terms. Exactly. Not to, uh, to piss off anyone. <laughs> but um, but uh, No matter what term you use, you'll piss off someone. So yeah, it's yeah, all good. Sure. Don't but, worry um, about it. <laughs> but basically, you know, I look more Asian than white. So you grew up in France and it's like, you know, people are, are saying, oh, you shouldn't try to go to this engineering school. Maybe you're better off going to this kind of... Uh, you know, the local uni or whatever, right? So mm. so growing up in that, you have challenges. It's not easy, right? But then linking back to my brother, right? I kind of always used him as my source of energy. You know, I face a challenge or there's something tough I want to do or like I'm a bit confused or a bit lost. I'm like, well, I cannot be lost. I cannot be confused because I'm 100% capable. I've been fortunate to be born with like all my abilities. So no excuses allowed, right? Mm -hmm. Like ever. Right. So, so this is kind of what I use when I'm kind of in a, maybe a, a challenging kind of situation. But then, you know, going back to my brother, obviously you grew up, kids are mean. Right? Kids are yeah, so mean. Yeah, for sure. You go, you hang out with your, I don't know, parents, friends, kids and all these things. And then, you know, people make fun of you for, even if you're, let's say, a normal kid, right? right. You don't have disability. You, it's They'll find something. They find something to make fun of yeah. you. Yeah. So then even worse when you have something, right? Then right. you give them a reason to laugh or make fun of you. And, you know, we're playing with kids and all of a sudden everyone runs away because, you know, I don't know, my brother said something or he's like not acting like other people, right? Mm. So it's, when you're a kid, you like see these things, you're like, oh my God, what is this? And initially 
young kid, right? Under 10, maybe 12, you're like, at first you're like, you're a kid as well, right? So you want to be friends with everyone. So mm. you're like, oh, my brother, why are you doing this, right? Right. Like, you know, you, so you feel bad, like, oh, you're doing this. So now look at them, everyone is running away. So initially you think, oh, it's because of him, right? But then obviously at the same time, it gets you angry, right? Because right. you have the other people that are making fun of your family. Right? Right. So it's not fun. So you're like in between these emotions, right? Ugh. And then I think I really came out with, you know, that realization of, you know, this is actually the biggest strength I have. Oh, it's nice. when I was maybe 15 or, or 16, I was like, you know, basically fuck this, right? Like, right. Yeah, like yeah, 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 yeah. This is how it is. Exactly. And you can't just, you know, always be thinking, oh, he's like that. Oh, this is sad situation and all that. You know, I think he might be one of the happiest person, right? Because yeah. he sees things from a different perspective and, you know, very pure, mm. very, uh, you know, no bad intention, no doing things, but thinking another, right? Like very pure, like open. And, you know, I've, I've been, you know, using him basically, as I told you, as a kind of source of energy. Right. He's uh, your fire. Yeah. Your motivation. Exactly. My motivation to do things. So I started this story oh, yeah. because I was telling you about that philanthropic drive of helping others. Yeah. Because obviously my whole life, yeah, you're helping him, right? Mm. By being there, by doing things, by talking, even now by talking about it, like, you know, I'm not maybe helping him, but I'm kind of helping myself. Uh, maybe there are other people listening as well that are in similar situation. And, you know, obviously depending on where you are in the world, your family, your background, you know, sometimes you talk about it, sometimes you don't talk about it. But I think, you know, for me, in my case, like this is a good thing that I talk about it. Obviously it took me many years to actually realize and, right. and be open. Uh, you can tell now I'm still a bit emotional when I talk about it. Exactly. But, 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 but yeah, this is, um, this but that's is why it serves that, as such a great motivation. Yeah. You know? uh, now it's all about, you know, as I say, again, you could see, oh, this is actually a problem in my life, but actually I'm embracing exactly. it. Exactly. 100%. Something very positive yeah, you to actually to fuel, fuel my fire. Yeah. 100%. How much older is he than oh, you? Wow. <laughs> four, four years, four years, four years older. So not, wow. that, not that big of a gap. Yeah. But yeah, um, man. Thank you for sharing that story. I know it's yeah, yeah. not it's easy. A, it's, it's not, it's not, well, I think it's not easy because of what people think, right? But at the end of the day, you cannot live your whole life thinking, oh, this guy likes me or not, right? 100%. Um, my auntie one told me, you know, here in Taiwan, she told me, you know, Philippe, in life, you're going to have people who like you, people who don't like you. You can please everyone. Right? 100%. So the ones that are here, agree. they like, then they're good enough. Yeah, then and they're the lucky. The other ones, it's, it's unfortunate. <laughs> exactly. But uh, life goes on. Oh, man. Dude, so, okay. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Long talk, long talk. Yeah, no, it's beautiful, <laughs> man. You mentioned before Spain. You got a Spain story. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Spain story. So the Spain story is related to my dad kind of creating this uh, curiosity out of me, right? And really pushing me to go out there because he knew like, oh, my kid is mixed. Okay, he's French, but he knows we're growing up in a white environment. It's not easy, right? So he's like, you know, you're going to need to work harder than others to actually make it. It's not fair. But, you know, life is not fair, right? Mm. So he didn't tell me all these words, but now sure. I, I realize looking back, right? So he knew, okay, this kid, he's going to have to go out there and be like more hungry than others. So he was like, and this is quite funny. Looking back, it's really not funny, but <laughs> it's like you learn two languages, right? In France. So believe me or not, people learn English, even though most <laughs> French people, English is, is very bad, but you learn English. Right. And then you learn either German or Spanish. Obviously I'm choosing Spanish because... I mean, yeah, come on. No one speaks German. <laughs> German people out there. Hello. Yes. Hello. Hello. Guten, uh, guten Tag. Oh, <laughs> oh, I'm not too sure. But um, <laughs> but yeah, basically you're in Spanish, right? So then, and then with my family, we would go on holidays to Spain for like one week. I don't know. One of the many French holidays that you mm, have throughout the year. Of course. So we would go to Spain and then, you know, my dad driving, my mom sitting in the front, me and my brother, we had the back chilling. Back in the days, you didn't have a sat nav, right? 
Mm. You don't have like the sat nav in the car right. or even iPhone, Google Maps. You don't have yeah, like, like a so paper map. It's kind of old school paper map. Exactly. Or you look at the signs on the street. Right. Or you have this very old looking um, sat nav, but it's like so thick, so right. big, very ugly. It's like orange, bright orange or like, you know, <laughs> pink. Exactly. That thing hurts your eyes. You can't even focus on the road and Not stuff. the greatest UI. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but yeah, so basically, yeah, the old paper map and stuff. And, you know, you, you probably get lost, right, at some point. So then my dad, he just stops. There's a Spanish person on the sidewalk. He rolls down the back window and he says, Philip, ask them where, Ooh. you know, that restaurant is. And then he literally stops in the middle of the road. There's car behind and stuff. Me, I'm, I'm, I don't know, 10, 15. I'm like, oh, come on. Why are you doing this to me? I know. Putain. And then I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, putain, this is annoying, whatever. And then he's like, okay, talk, you, you're learning Spanish yeah, at school, right? Go. What is this for? Just talk to them. And then I'm trying with my broken Spanish, you know, 15 years old, where is this place? We're trying to go to that restaurant, Donde style, restaurante, like uh, cold, I mean, cold, cold, um, cold whatever, right? Right, 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 right. Izquierda, derecha, yes. is far, I don't know, cuento, minutos, all these things. <laughs> and then my dad is like, yeah, and he's doing this thing to me. And then my mom is like, why are you doing this to this kid, right? Like, and then me, I'm like, you're fucking annoying. Exactly. Stuff, right? I'm like right. rebellious at the back. I mean, no, I'm not talking and stuff. And then he stays there, right? So I know the only way to unlock the situation is actually to talk Spanish to these Ooh. people, right? So then I'm like, wow. But actually looking back, this was like throwing me into the fire, right? 100%. So now it's like, okay, there is a stressful situation. Yeah. Or there's no something. All of that kind of, okay, I've been there before. You know that the best way to react is just to unlock or defuse the bomb, if I can say, right? Yeah, 100%. So it's like, okay, now, okay, fair enough. Yeah, I love it. I sweated a lot back in the days exactly. at the back of the car. <laughs> But uh, it's for my own good. <laughs> yeah, it's so Asian too. My dad did that to me. Literally, you said throwing you into the fire, but yeah. I was like thrown into the water, into the pool. That's oh, yeah. how I learned how to swim. Oh, no way. Yeah, my you, father just So like, you're not scared of water? No, no, because I was very yeah, scared yeah. at like yeah, yeah. a very young age. And my father just said, okay, in Arizona, beautiful, hot, sunny day. Uh -huh. I love the pool, but I never went in. Yeah. And my father said, okay, you ready? I said, what, what do you mean? No. And then he just pushed me in. Wow. And I thought I was going to die. Wow. I remember just drowning, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like just screaming, throwing my hands everywhere, looking at his face. And he's just laughed at me. <laughs> and I'm like, I fucking hate you. I'm going to die. And then, of course, I'm just floating, you know? And I keep screaming at him, but I'm yeah, he's yeah, laughing. Yeah, yeah. He's like, dude, you're floating, man. Yeah, yeah, keep yeah. going, swim. Wow. Shit. Can yeah. you swim now then? Yeah, I can yeah, swim, of can. course. Yeah, very soon after that. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's pretty good. Sometimes it's the best way. It is, it is. Sometimes it can be way. trauma. Sometimes it can be the best way. Yeah, it's, I think it's a double-edged sword. Double-edged sword, exactly. It's like, it's either a, a trauma that you still carry to this day or, right. or actually played in your favor. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Wow, man. So you are here in Taiwan, kind of rediscovering your roots, finding your calling, as we said, you know, from the outset. And then you also kind of mentioned it, started to explain what you're working on, this mm -hmm. kind of platform, bridging these gaps. But... How are you finding Taiwan so far? You haven't been here for even a year yet. Yeah, yeah. So actually, you know, the first time I came to Taiwan was 12 years ago for internship as part of my studies. Mm. Um, so in Sinchu. Yeah, so I lived Xinchu. in Sinchu yeah, for a few weeks and then I would come to Taipei during weekends to stay with the family. I've been coming back almost every summer for the last basically yeah, 10 years until COVID. Okay. Um, so I'm kind of familiar with the, the country, the place. Obviously, there's always new things to discover and do. But um, it's always been something I, I wanted to do because, you know, you grew up in Europe. It's really that identity crisis, right? Mm -hmm. And you're like, okay, I'm here. I'm French. I'm there in Europe. I'm working this job. Uh, but, but, you know, you don't really find your people, right? There's not that many 
mixed people, mm-hmm. right? Especially, let's say, mixed Taiwanese and French. And also when it's the dad who's Asian, right? Right. I think, obviously, you are mixed and all that, but I think there's still a difference when the dad is Asian and the dad is white, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a, a difference in your bringing and you know, the personality of the mixed people who have a white father and an Asian mom. Uh, nothing bad, nothing good. I'm just, you know, mm-hmm. saying it. Yeah, it's just there's different. Just differences, it's, yeah. And it's not, you know, maybe you don't relate as much to people, even if you think they are mixed, they are similar, they might not be the same thing, right? And then, so... Uh, always kind of, you know, struggle to really find your your people and find, you know, a place where you feel happy, right? Where the energy is good and you feel like, okay, let's say you're a plant. I don't know. I really like these uh, very bad analogies. Mm, but let's say you're like in a, a plant and you're in a small pot, right? Oh. And the pot is not, you know, the most fitted pot for you to grow, right? So you can't really grow and you stay a small plant. But then mm. as soon as we put you in a nicer pot, a bigger pot, or the temperature is better. Exactly. <laughs> the water level is good. It's warm. You know, that's it. You're yeah. here, you're here, you can flourish and you can grow. Right. Obviously, no one put me in a pot and, and all of these things, but you know, it's like you always want to find an environment where you can basically be happy, grow, be nourished mentally, you know, happy as well. You can be nourished. You find your people. This is an environment where maybe your experience, your background is kind of also seen as something positive. Mm. Uh, you know, so I've always wanted to come to Taiwan. Many arguments between me and my dad, about, you know, over the years as well, uh, because you know, my dad left Taiwan when he was a kid. So I think to this day, he still might have some sort of, um, it's not a child trauma, right? But, you know, when you're eight years old kids, your family is kind of coming from China because of the war, right? Right. And then you leave to go to France, which is basically somewhere you never heard of, probably, yeah. right? Yeah. As an eight years old kid. Of course. Um, you're like, wow. Okay, probably my grandma told him we got to leave because this is not a good place here for right, us, right? Yeah. You got to go into Europe. So then I think, you know, he still had this um, and he never came back to Taiwan. Oh, I think 30, 40 years, I think. So this trip in December will be... No, no, not oh, his okay. first time. Okay, we, okay, over okay, the okay. last few years, he's been coming back, but I think for a big chunk of time, he didn't come back for, yeah, like 30 plus years. Wow. So I think he still have, you know, this kind of, um, it's not a bad memory, but it's just, you know, the way things are, right? And then that's why me saying, oh, first time I came to Taiwan for the internship right? right i was like i was young as well 20 or something i was like oh, okay i want to come here this yeah. is amazing right like this is so cool blah, blah, blah. and then obviously it was no 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 over like the last many years i understand as well looking back you know it's like the family has made so many well, it's not you made so many right the the family story is like we kind of left this place for you to be kind of thriving yeah in another environment and now you kind of want to close back and you go just want to zero, go back. Right? Yeah, right. <laughs> obviously, it's not that simple, right? I'm making sound like very easy and simple, but it's mm. like, you know, obviously also the country has developed much more and it's maybe you know, in some areas or many areas much more developed than some countries of Europe. So it's actually mm-hmm. kind of a, an amazing place to be. But then again, you need to see things from the perspective of someone who went through that kind of Tr- let's say challenging child uh, kind childhood of journey right of leaving your country because it's kind of dangerous to go to Europe right so but then now it's happening right like now that I've been you know obviously building my experience my skills doing the studies the jobs in, in Europe now it's kind of the time I think for me to be here mm. and this is what I made the move yeah a few months ago and it's been a uh, it's been amazing. You know, I'm very happy. I, I met uh, some people as well, right people, I think, you know, in a group of friends, love life as well. You know, people that are helping you, people that, are, you know, kind of your people that you were looking for so many years, mm-hmm. you know, and then now you found them. So it's like, you know, it's an amazing experience. So 
So yeah, yeah, I'm very happy to be here. And now, you know, meeting people like you as well, yeah, right? Um, likewise. We don't have the exact similar background, right? But I think we can relate on our experience so far. 100%. Across many different topics. Yeah. And there are many more people as well that we got the chance to meet recently at different tech events. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it's good to build. And at the end of the day, Taipei is also very small. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's very easy, let's say, to meet these people. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of nice to start creating that community around you. Have this group of people and enjoy life. Yeah. At the end of the Play day. Play some tennis. Play some tennis, exactly. <laughs> no, yeah, it's it's kind of fun. I only picked up tennis recently, you know. People, when I play, they do, well, okay, I'm going to sound a bit uh, cocky here. Good. But I was going to say, when I play, people say, oh, no, it's impossible. You just picked up tennis like six weeks ago. Right. But it's actually- You're like a pro. It's, it's, no, no, You're Like I'm a not. French pro. No, 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 no. no. Actually, <laughs> you know- I, 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 Did you I, grow up in Wimbledon? No, I, actually, <laughs> I've never been to Wimbledon. I went to, uh, by the way, Wimbledon is in London. Yeah, true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. True, true, true. Paris yeah. is um, Roland Garros. But uh, US Open is in Queens, New York. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> I've been several times, actually, oh, yeah? to US Open. Yeah. It's quite fun. It's amazing. It's, yeah. Oh, it's Wim- amazing. Wimbledon Wimbledon is fun because it's grass, right? Mm. So it's like, and I, I used to play like, you know, the tennis on the PSP. I remember. Okay. Um, I forgot the game but i love to play at wimbledon because it's green i don't know i felt like it looks cool right, right. and then the uh, Roland Garros in paris is like the the orangey the uh, clay yeah yeah, clay. yeah yeah but i think you know it's like you know growing up you play a lot of sports play soccer then i play basketball but then you always pick up sports right like i don't know tennis ping pong you play with friends and all these things but it's never playing playing right mm. so i would maybe one guy say oh let's play one hour of tennis and i'm like i don't even have a racket so i was like okay let's just play with yours or whatever and like okay so you kind of you pick up sports like kind of easily you kind of okay good at every sport right mm. so this is what's this is kind of my situation and then obviously my technique is not good but then i can rally right so i can mm. and also my mentality is oh you're here to beat me right so right. i gotta fight exactly so i'm running after all i'm the not balls. getting eliminated exactly so i'm <laughs> like okay this is a match now okay we're friends but let's play right exactly so yeah, even if i'm shit i'm gonna fight to till, the end. T- till I fall on the floor to try to actually save oh, my man. face, right? I can't and not wait. lose. Let's go, let's go. Not lose, like, I don't know, three <laughs> sets to zero, right? Exactly. Six, zero, six, zero, six, zero. Right. Can't let that happen. Exactly. So but I picked up tennis and it's, uh, yeah, it's nice. I play at Taipei Arena. Mm. Um, oh, that's a good place uh, to play. It's, it's kind of fun. And yeah, I've only been playing for like a few weeks, but yeah, you meet, you meet some nice people there as well. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's fun. So how long are you going to be here in Taiwan? This is... Well, I have the... Um, the gold card. Yes. Right? You have the gold card. Exactly. As well. We so are part for, of the family. Um, it's for, it's for three years. Yeah. So, but obviously for me, it's, um, I, I don't see myself living. Right? Mm. Um, I've come a long way, kind of waited for many years to actually make it happen. So now it's happening and yeah, I don't have any plans to go anywhere else. Here in Asia, if there is another place that I would live in, it would probably be Japan. Okay. There we go. Um, yeah. You look very cool. Yeah. <laughs> this is actually how we met, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> How do we meet? Okay, so the story goes, we go to this tech event, right? Gold car tech Gold event. Gold car tech event. And then I'm here standing and then I see this guy. He's walking into the room wearing some uh, light blue uh, sunglasses, right? <laughs> that day was very rainy. So I'm like, okay, I'm sure that guy just goes for the swag, right? He just wanted to cook. So then I'm like, my first sentence to you, I think was like, oh, I like your glasses. Oh, your glasses look cool, right? Very Japanese. And then you tell me, I'm actually Japanese. Yeah. So then I was like, wow. We just hit it off. That's it. Immediately. That's happening right now. I know. That's, I know. That's, that's all you need. But um, no, obviously Japan, because, you know, I've only been a few times, mm. so I'm not the pro. I'm not an expert, but from what I've seen, uh, wow, it's nice. First of all, is the energy. Mm. The energy is so good. That's mm. so peaceful. 
even if you're in central Tokyo, like I stayed the other day in uh, Shibuya, right? So Shibuya crossing, right? Super busy. Mm -hmm. But then you're two, three streets behind and it's like, oh, so peaceful. Yes, you just walk is. at night. I love walking at night after dinner, digest a bit, get yeah. my steps in. Um, they have a lot of nice like well. alleys too. Yeah, small alleys is like quiet. It's like a bit dark and stuff, but it's like so nice, so yeah. peaceful, so quiet. And then Kyoto as well, obviously it's like, so wow, beautiful. So peaceful. So much history. You feel the energy in the, in anywhere you go, anywhere you walk, anywhere you step. Oh my God, it's so good. Um, so obviously, you know, you didn't ask me the questions, but I just say it. <laughs> Uh, in Asia, I would probably live in Japan if there were yeah. uh, uh, if there was another country. And then it's also like you know back to the story of how we met, right? Like the swag, right? Yeah. Like, uh, the style, Japanese fashion, men's fashion is like amazing. Right? Mm. Everyone looks amazing, and it's like you feel inspired mm. by other people to actually dress up as well, right? right because right, the right. game is like quite tight there. It's a game, so it's like wow, it's perfect for these you guys. They have game, right? You're like I'm competing, baby. Yeah, exactly. And last time, this is funny, right? I went. <laughs> I went to Tokyo and then I was actually the one telling my girlfriend, oh, let's go back to the hotel. I need to change outfits. So I'm the one who's actually carrying that extra big luggage. Huge luggage. Huge luggage. And I don't know how many pairs of shoes, how many outfits. And I'm like- With the whole team, I entourage. Plan, I plan, I, yeah, I plan- Makeup, the, hair. I, I, plan, I plan the day outfit and I plan the night outfit. And sometimes, you know, you like- visiting, right? So you're like somewhere, I don't know where, far from the hotel. Right. And let's grab food here, right? Because yeah. we're tired. I'm like, no, no, no. No, we need, to, we need, we need to a go pit back, stop. Pit stop back at the hotel. Even if we have to travel, like cross through the whole city, <laughs> I want to wear my night outfit. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that's quite funny, yeah. Oh man, but, uh, so you're but, just, this Frenchman is taking over, <laughs> taking over Japan. No, 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 no. Yeah, I'm wearing Japanese clothes. Like, it's so cool, so amazing. I like the style, right? It's very elegant. It's very, like, you know, not very, I mean, it could be very colorful as well, right? But it's like, you know, very classy, very mm -hmm. elegant. It's just, you know, you dress well as well. You know, you feel good, you feel well. It's all part of the, um, of the process as well. But, you know, funny thing is when you go to a clothing shop in Japan, you know, the main section is usually downstairs, right? Mm. In the ground floor. In Europe, I think it's the same in the US, right? So you're here with your girlfriend. She wants to go shopping, right? So you're like, oh my God, you're dreading, right? Because it's like, you're going to walk into every shops and then the only shop that has a men's section, you have to climb like, I don't know, second floor or minus one. <laughs> and you're like already tired, but you have to go down and you have to go up first floor. When you go to Japan, it's actually the opposite. So you're like, oh my God, this is amazing. But ground floor is actually the men's section, most places, right? And then the and women like, have to climb. Go, yeah, go up, go down and stuff. So <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is good. You're like, this is my country. <laughs> Just because the main section is on the ground is on floor. the ground floor. That's it. We can start a revolution here that's in easy. Taiwan. See, I'm an easy person. Like the temperature in the office. Exactly. Area, that's all I you just need. need. Ground floor, uh, main section for buying my clothes. Right, and then it's paradise. <laughs> it's utopia. Ah, <laughs> uh, this is quite funny. Oh, amazing. Oh, that's cool, man. So yeah, we will have fun here. Then, if you're gonna be here, I will be here as well. And we have connections to Japan, so yeah, yeah. exactly. And make stuff happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chameleon here. Chameleon, yeah. Exactly. No, actually, you know, I have a few friends that like, look at this guy. He looks like uh, Asian, but he can speak fluent French. Or right. They say, oh, you should go try to work for like a intelligence agency and this kind of thing. But I'm like, come on. <laughs> This is not happening. Come on. I don't like iguanas. Yeah, I don't like iguanas. I'm scared of iguanas. I cannot do it. I cannot I look, do it. I look tough maybe, but I'm, I'm fucking scared of iguanas. <laughs> if something wrong happened, my iguanas is going to get the best out of exactly. me. Exactly. I'm jumping in the bathtub, man. <laughs> 
<laughs> you will not find me. Uh, yeah, 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 that's quite funny. <laughs> no, but you know, it's it's quite funny because when I'm in France, I went this summer, you look Asian, but people can't tell I'm French, right? So you should go to the south of France. People think, yeah, okay, there's a lot of tourists, right? Right. So they speak to me in English. Right. Or sometimes or they also play in, yeah, sometimes you know, just to make fun of you. Right. But they're like, oh, okay, they speak English, right? So actually, it's quite funny sometimes to play that card so you can hear what people say, right? True. Right? That's a and then even here, like, advantage. obviously my Mandarin is not that good, but I can understand, right? When people say good things or bad things, right. I, I understand the words as well. So it's kind of a good card to play sometimes. Oh, for sure. It's very useful. But, um, but, but yeah, no, that's quite, um, no, I'm very happy to sum up. Very happy to be here after many years in the making both in terms of dealing with uh, personal, personal, you know, challenges with my dad who doesn't want me to be here. But right. now obviously he's very happy I'm here. He, he gets it after a few years, obviously. And then me, you know, after working, studying in Europe and now being here, we've, I've been grateful to have the, the chance to work at different companies as well. So it's, it's quite nice. It's quite nice to be here. Yeah. Amazing, man. It's a beautiful story. Wow, it's really you. a beautiful story. Thank you so much for sharing them. Very happy that I walked into that tech event and walked straight towards this <laughs> Beautiful Frenchman as well. <laughs> we just like magnets. Magnets. Yes. God's plan. God's Everything plan. Everything happens for a reason. Exactly. Drake, if you're out there, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Ken. Yes. Thank you so much, Philippe. It was amazing. And you know, when your huge IPO comes, you can <laughs> come back here and we'll celebrate as well. Hopefully, Pop some champagne. And that's the plan. That's the plan. Exactly. That is the plan. So you guys will hear it first here. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you, you everyone as well for listening. And we will see you again next time. Until then, peace. Merci. Au revoir. Merci. Bye bye. <laughs> wow. Woo! Ken. <laughs> <laughs>